Now you're going to drink it oh. next to the microphone. <laughs> Kickstart your day. <laughs> you can't even finish it. Welcome to None of My Friends Like Comics. This is a podcast where a comic book enthusiast talks to a newcomer about a piece of work in the medium, and we break it down to see if my friend, first-time reader, will pull it or drop it. I'm your host, Nick Poffenbarger, and my co-host today is none other than Elena Gamblin. How are you today, Elena? Hi. Doing all right here. Good, 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 good. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, it is morning. We're both kind of tired. We got tired voices, I think, a little bit. <laughs> but that's okay. Um, yeah, so... First time on the show. Hey. <laughs> Even though you live in the same house. That's how it goes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, so um, uh, as it's becoming custom on the show, uh, with it being your first time and all that jazz, uh, I need to ask you kind of what your experience with comic <clears throat> books is for the listeners, because I obviously know. Um, yeah, I don't know. You want to take it from there? Start off? Yeah, um, I guess uh, being with you and living with you, I don't really have an option but to <laughs> like and enjoy comics. <laughs> um, so like that's not true. It's that's not, not true. true. You're, you're right. Um, I guess like I would say you're like my true like first like real exposure to comics because before you, I didn't really know what they were. Um, <sighs> you talking I, about like the uh, like kind of hobby of comics yeah. Like, yeah so like before you i knew they existed yeah i mean i didn't really know that they were like actual stories like i think i looked at them more as like magazines oh like i didn't have like any funny paper type stuff yeah yeah i didn't have anybody in my life that you know could even inform me what they were was interested in them nothing and um i guess the first time i ever found one and picked one up for myself was probably when I was like 12 or 13 and my mom would take me and my brothers to the flea market every weekend and there was a guy there whose booth I visited pretty often because he had all things geekery, video games, um, toys, movies was a big thing for me there. I collected VHSs. Um, I think there was some music I remember and then he had some comics and the comics that I found and I picked up were some Elvira and Tales from the Dark side and Tales from the Crypt comics. Like horror stuff. Yeah, yeah. horror stuff. I was really into that. still am, but um, I didn't know what they were. I just picked them up and I saw the covers and I thought the artwork was really neat. And at that time, I just looked at it as being something more collectible for me just to have. I thought the art was really cool inside didn't really read the story too much. Yeah. And if I did, I don't think it would have really made sense for me because it was probably like issue 600 of whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, and it takes a while too to like, uh, I don't know, for your mind to like adjust to like what the panel layouts are doing yeah. and like how the stories are told. Like, I mean, yeah, like in Western culture, like we know it's like top to bottom, left to right. But like, obviously like 
every comic plays with that a little mm-hmm. bit. And like, it's, I don't know I think there's a bit of like a mental kind of breakthrough that most people need to like, really like understand what's going on in it. Not that it's like some high art form that <laughs> but yeah, it's like but to someone but, you know, like me, like, like I had no, I had no clue. Yeah. Yeah. Just like no, no context or anything like that. Like I get that. Yeah. No, but it was, um, the, the guy that actually ran the booth there, it's funny. He, um, he ran the local music venue. Oh yeah. That we, um, we met at for the first time at Alice Coffee. Oh, before, it was Romero's, be- before we were dating. Before we were dating. That was Romero's shop at the flea market and nice. it's kind of weird. So now here I am with you and. So you're saying that without. <laughs> without comics, Romero. <laughs> without comics in general. Without comics. Yeah, maybe. I we would have never been together. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, that was like the first kind of look into that world and know what it was, had it in my hands, collected a few just because the art was cool, but it was just base level. Yeah. No clue what the hell it is, what I even had. And then, and, uh, and then you come along yeah, and a decade ago, uh, get, we, we start dating and, uh, and, uh, and I won't <laughs> shut up about it, you know? Yeah. That's pretty much it. Pretty much. <laughs> that's the story. <laughs> I think that's kind of fun though, too, because, uh, um, I mean, I've said it on this show before, but, you know, I mean, I, I've actively read comics, like, you know, in a, on a consistent basis since, like, <clears throat> 2008 was around when I started, like, dabbling. And uh, then, you know, I think it was only, like, a couple of years after that when I started going to the, like, shop more frequently and, like, picking up single issues. But I wasn't, like, uh, full-blown until probably, like, you know, like picking up like 40 bucks worth of shit like every, every week. week. Yeah. For, uh, until like maybe 2014 or something like right after yeah. we started dating. So yeah, I mean, uh, you've kind of seen the, uh, the evolution firsthand uh, of, of, oh, of my, like, <laughs> um, you know, dabbling in it at least. But, um, and I think you've just gotten the residual knowledge. <laughs> yeah. From, from I don't me read is. comics at all. And, um, I, I know a lot about them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you have, you have strong opinions, on, strong opinions. Uh, on, on certain writers and artists and <laughs> all the gossip. Yeah. Of random we won't stuff mention names. On. Oh yeah. No, no. I mean, <laughs> there's not a lot of gossip that I keep up with anyway, but, but yeah. Um, yeah, no, uh, that's kind of funny, <laughs> I don't know. but, uh, yeah, no, I, uh, y- you know, it's not something that I've ever wanted to like, obviously like push on you or my friends as much Definitely as, don't. as much as this, uh, podcast kind of seems like I am, I guess <laughs> a little bit, but, but I genuinely think like, you know, uh, there's, there is something in, in the medium for everybody, you know, and, uh, that, you know, at the bare minimum, I think, uh, I think everybody can find some value in some, in some work in comics at least. Uh, uh, and I know that, um, you know, when we like go to conventions together and things like that, like you're kind of more drawn to like, uh, <laughs> you know, interesting, like, or like indie style artists and things like that. And, you know, kind of leaning more towards like the horror, supernatural, sci-fi type stuff. Fantasy stuff. Yeah. And, um, which I'm really into as well. Um, and so I thought this would be a good opportunity to, to get you to read some books and see if, uh, see if you dig something, you know, finally know or, what you're talking about. Yeah, maybe <laughs> <laughs> where's it? Wait till we get to Jonathan Hickman. And, oh <laughs> <God>. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh, but yeah, so, um, yeah, I guess uh, that about covers it for, uh, 
for that intro, at least for you. I didn't, I didn't even know that story about you. Yeah. Um, I haven't really thought about it until recently. Market. Yeah. You told me to you come learn prepared. something new every day, even, <laughs> even eight years later, you know, <laughs> but yeah. Um, so today, uh, we are talking about a book called kill the Minotaur from image comics and, uh, more in particular from uh, Skybound, the imprint that is run by Robert Kirkman, um, creator of The Walking Dead and Invincible and all that stuff. Um, uh, this book uh, is written and created by Chris Passetto and Christian Cantamesa, uh, with art by Lucas Kettner, colors by Jean-Francois Ballou, and lettered by Clem Robbins. Um, so this is a... Uh, <laughs> six issue miniseries that started in June of 2017 and uh, it ran consistently to its conclusion in November of the same year. Uh, basically it's a retelling slash reimagining of the classic Greek mythological tale of the Minotaur's labyrinth. Um, it differentiates itself uh, kind of from the classic tellings by adding elements of other genres to the narrative, like, you know, horror and sci-fi like that type of stuff. And I'm um, giving a more, uh, I'd say personal focus on the characters that are involved in the story, because I mean, these are, you know, it is a, a, an old timey myth. So it's like, you know, the characters are just like, and you know, this person was great and he was brave or whatever, you know, and, and you don't get like a lot in the way of actual character traits and things like that. Like, it's just like a really broad spanning, you know, palette, I guess. But, uh, so this series, like it garnered a lot of hype when it was released. Um, and like a lot of indie series at the time, uh, got bought up by a movie studio. Like, I didn't know that. Yeah, like like before. I think it was like by issue three or something. So is that something like, they're working on? So we'll talk about that. Oh, gosh. Yeah, okay. like uh, so. That's like, funny. It got bought up. Um, I think it's even in like the uh, letters page for issue three, um, wherein like I think it's one of the writers creators. I, I don't remember which one, but um. Uh, he's like talking about, you know, how it got, you know, option for a movie and how him and, uh, the other guy are both working on it, like the script. Um, and it, it, I, I feel like it's fallen into oblivion because oh, like, no. because that's like, this was the five years ago, like the, the, this was the thing. It was like any, any like short mini series that we can make a movie out of, like buy it, like all the movie studios, just buying up all that stuff, you know? And, uh, a lot of them are just in development hell and there really hasn't been like any news that I could find about the movie that doesn't date beyond 2017 when the series came out. <laughs> like, so it's been a while. Um, I did find something where an article was speculating that the director of Predators, the new uh, one. No, very good. Or the one with Adrian Brody. The Adrian Brody one. Ooh. Predators. Predators. Yeah. So that one, <clears throat> the director of that one, uh, has said that he was working on a script like a couple years ago that was a retelling of the Minotaur tale, but there was like no confirmation if it was like this, this one, one, which would be hilarious if both these movies came out at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Minotaur is a big new thing in Hollywood, <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah. So like. Um, you know, it's kind of funny though. I'm a, just one more background thing on this book. Um, unbeknownst to me, I kind of found out, um, not until really doing research for this episode, why there was so much hype around this book. 
And I don't know how I missed this, but the creators, uh, Pacetto and Castamesa, uh, they are, <laughs> uh, they both work together on the game Red Dead Redemption. Okay. Uh, Catamesa, I think was the, was a writer and, um, uh, Pacetto was a, uh, designer. I've probably fucked that up. I don't know. They both worked on the fucking game. I don't know. One of them was a writer, (laughs) but, 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 um, you know, so the hype makes a lot more sense in retrospect because, you know, that's like one of the biggest games of all time and the fan base of it is huge, you know, and, and it's well known for, the story um but yeah uh they're both apparently pinning the script for the proposed film and uh neither have produced a comic book ever since this i wonder why it's taking a break i don't know um i i mean it's up for debate whether or not they uh you know just wanted to do it for to do it i don't think any of them either of them had done a comic before this Oh, weird. So, like, it was maybe just, like, their their foray, and, I mean, as far as I could tell, it was pretty successful, so I don't know why they haven't done more, probably just because they're working on movies or whatever the hell, you know, doing other stuff, but just thought that was kind of interesting. They have, Did like, they work on the Red Dead Redemption too? No. No? No. Hmm. They were not involved in that. Interesting. Yeah. I think they're both trying to go Hollywood. Hollywood. Yeah. They want the big bucks. <laughs> yeah, the big bucks. <laughs> but, uh, so, yeah, um, I mean, that pretty much... I, I you know I kind of went over it just there, but um, uh, so my first exposure to this series, uh, we'll kind of talk about both of ours here. Um, but uh, I was just gonna ask, do you remember when I first told you about this series, like when it was coming out? I don't remember you telling me much about the story. I remember seeing the covers for each individual um issue, and remember thinking they were fucking awesome yeah yeah the covers um, are super sweet i think you showed me a bit of the art on the inside just from like some of the graphic images she thought i'd like it or something um but i don't really remember too much other than that just remember you know the art from the cover and a little bit on the inside i don't remember like anything from the story yeah yeah i mean i don't think that like when it came out the story was like the like the narrative itself wasn't the super exciting thing it was more like conceptually it being like a retelling with like all these like new things added to it like that was what got me like excited about it i think um cuz i cuz i remember the uh um i i remember specifically <laughs> mentioning it to you because it put like that horror element like more like front and center like you know in in the story um or in this version of the story and and it had that element too of like you know uh this is a mythological tale but it's like you know an interpretation of like a it can be construed as like historical fiction and i know that you like that kind of stuff as well um you know or like alternate history kind of like narrative stuff i yeah i i remember it just being like this cool looking indie book that got good buzz after the first issue and i think i picked up a copy like the week after the first issue came out like i found a copy of it and uh yeah i I mean it it was it was pretty much like right up my alley at the time i mean i love um like myths and like you know like mythology like interpretations and tales and this being you know a pretty big one and a well-known one but they're adding like this kind of like horror like element to it just uh it it really sat well with me um 
you know, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, just, I just think that, uh, you know, anytime that there's like, I'm a sucker for like just modern retellings of old myths, um, in like really any medium, uh, especially when they add like, you know, their own little like unique twist on it. Like, and, and this, this definitely fits that bill, I think. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know. I don't want to go into too much until we get into the story to actually like, you know, give the full context and the spoilers and all that jazz. But I'm, uh, is there anything else? Uh, did you have any like preconceived notions about it before I asked you to read it? Um, not necessarily. I was kind of worried that I needed to have some sort of background knowledge to some, you know, Greek mythology. Yeah. And I don't have that. I've never really looked into it much. So I don't really know much about that field. Yeah. So I didn't know if I could go into the story without knowing that information or not. And I worried about it, but I didn't really take the time I, to. I think you can. I mean, like, um, it, you know, it's uh, it's one of those things that the narrative works on its own. I mean, when I read this, it wasn't like I was looking it, for. It, well, I wasn't like um, none of these stories weren't like fresh in my head. You know, like, I mean, I remembered this because I Greek <laughs> mythology was like the first um, like you know, kind of sect of mythology tales that I, that I really delved into when I was younger, like, you know, like middle school and high school. Like I, I was really into it. I wrote a lot of songs about like, yeah. Yeah, about like <laughs> Greek mythology and stuff. And, uh, and I was super into it. And, um, so I, I guess like I had like a, a decent knowledge of this stuff, but like it, rereading it now, like I, I realized like, um, oh, there's a lot of like little references and change-ups that, are cool if you know them, but I don't think it's like necessary to like enjoy the book or anything. Like, you know, they, they don't rely that you're like a scholar of Greek mythology, you know, to, to, to get across the tale. And plus like Greek mythology tales though, in general are like, I think just like built into pop culture at this point where like, I mean, like, you know, I'm sure like you were saying, like, you don't really know like this story, like mm -hmm. in the, in the classic myth way, but you know of like a minotaur and you probably know that like it's involved in a maze somehow, you know, and like, and there's, you know, that kind of shit. Um, do you think that people who are really into Greek mythology and it's something that they enjoy and are, you know, knowledgeable with, do you think they would, um, be satisfied with this book or do you think <laughs> they would look for like historical inaccuracies or, um, I mean, it's, it's way different, right? Like, you know, I mean like a lot of the, like the way, I mean like, but these are also tales that are like known for being like retold and like repurposed and, and changed up. And like, I mean, you know, even if you look up, like, you know, if you just Googled like the story of Theseus and the Minotaur, you're going to get like, you might you might find like a, an article that says like, this is the definitive tale, but then it'll say like in some, it, it'll reference other versions. There's like it, six other. Tales. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean like, you know, so I don't know. I mean, it's a little, it is very modern, like a very modern interpretation. I think of, that's pretty accurate of, of this story. So, I mean, if you're not keen on like seeing Theseus, like, Say, say, fuck. say fuck a lot <laughs> <laughs> like you know i mean uh you you might not like this <laughs> but <laughs> and you know we'll talk about that more as we go on but i mean uh it's you know i don't know i mean like obviously everybody's different i mean like i dig it but i also wouldn't say i'm like a scholar of this kind of stuff i'm just like 
I have a passive interest in it, you know, and, and, and think that it's really cool. And as I said before, I'm kind of a sucker for interpretations of this type of stuff. I, I really dig that kind of thing. I mean, like even, um, you know, just recently I was going through, a Neil Gaiman's Norse mythology, which is like, just like these hard researched, like retellings of, you know, classic Norse tales. And then, uh, they, uh, produce like the, um, graphic novel versions and whatnot, which are still coming out. But, um, yeah, it's just, uh, I can't get enough of that shit. <laughs> I, do, I dig it. All right. So let's get into the story. Uh, this is the part of the show where we kind of go through the story in full detail to give context for our discussion, uh, during which we are going to ping pong back and forth our ideas, opinions, whatever we want, really. Uh, be warned, as always, full spoilers ahead. Spoilies. This is where Brett comes in. Spoilers. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> yeah. All right. So uh, on this book, um, we open on a crazy looking page where a group of figures stand atop a ledge of what looks like this, uh, like an organic coliseum. Uh, the caption box up top tells us it's uh, Crete, circa 1500 BC. Uh, we zoom in on this group and it's established through dialogue that this is the royal family of Crete. Uh, Queen Pasiphae and the Master of the Labyrinth are discussing what appears to be left at the center of the Colosseum. Everyone in the group seems disturbed and kind of like wide-eyed, freaked out. Uh, Queen Pasiphae is demanding to know what the meaning of this, and uh, the Master of the Labyrinth, Daedalus, uh, says, The creature's thoughts are as opaque as your own, my queen. If I were to venture a guess, I'd say it's not pleased with our offering. This is where we get the reveal of what's uh, in the center of the re- arena, uh, which is a uh, white bull stabbed and propped up by these like sharp stakes, you know, <laughs> these weird like organic spike things. Uh, it's just like mangled with blood and innards spilling all over the ground. And uh, here we is where the uh, king, Minos, speaks. Uh, he's upset that Daedalus referred to the aforementioned creature as it and uh, refers to it as the heir to the throne of Crete and his adopted son, and Daedalus uh, quickly apologizes, very timidly. King Minos tells his presumably young daughter, Ariadne, to step forward away from her mother, the queen. He takes her arm hard and holds her over the wall as if he's going to throw her in. Uh, Her sandal falls into the pit as he dangles her, and with tears running down his eyes, he talks about how the gods took his son and gave him their own in his place. Uh, He says the... (laughs) He says the the words of the of his adopted son are clear, and orders his general Glaucus to prepare a fleet. He tosses uh, Ariadne to Daedalus, and Glaucus asks uh, the king if you know his implication is like he's like, is this going to be war? And uh, the prologue kind of ends with King Minos saying, "War and a hard path ahead, for my son requires an entirely different kind of sacrifice." And we get like this cool, ominous shot of uh, Ariadne's sandal that fell <laughs> to the ground below, covered by the shadow of the mangled bull's head. Yeah, I gotta say, this is a really strong opening. Uh, it's only three pages, and you get the uh, gist of all these characters, especially old uh, crazy King Minos. Um, I also love how it's already kind of playing with the structure of the original myths. Um, in the original myth, there oh, a white bull kind of factors in, you know, in, in most of the interpretations. Uh, and... Uh, I kind of uh, dig how they they put that like right off the bat, you know, like it's just like, oh, the white bull, but it's different, you know, than than what you remember kind of thing. Like, because I don't know if we should go into this. Should we go into this now with the the original myth? Might as well. It's kind of fucked up. So like, 
<laughs> factors and it gives you a lot of context for stuff that happens later. But like, so in the original kind of interpretations, at least most of them to, to my knowledge, and I might butcher like some of the finer details here, but basically King Minos, um, requests a, uh, a sign from, uh, Poseidon, uh, to, as like, you know, just a, a, a way of showing that, you know, uh, his, his way is the righteous way or whatever. And, uh, he requests him to send him a, uh, a snow white bull and the bull, uh, comes, but then, uh, the deal was like, Poseidon was like, well, and then you have to sacrifice it to pay homage to me, you know, for, for giving you like this sign or whatever. And, um, Minos, uh, grows to love the bull. Like, um, uh, like he, he's, he's really fond of it, so he doesn't want to give it up. So he tries to sacrifice one of his other bulls in hopes that it would kind of like either trick, trick or like persuade Poseidon or, you know, satiate Poseidon's need for sacrifice. And, um, <laughs> his, uh, his, his, uh, Pasiphae, the, the queen, um, ends up falling in actual love with the bull. Ew. And she, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, so, right. and then. She goes into the, uh, this, um, like, <laughs> like steer shaped cage and, uh, and, and mates with the, the white bull, uh, gives, giving birth to the minotaur. Like that's the kind of the original there, but this is like, you know, just like the white bull's fucking dead, Ew. you know, like, and it's like, and we don't even, I mean, I mean, this just seems like a, a bull that they had and they just made it white for the reference, you know, but it's a, uh, it's still an interesting little nod there right off the bat. If you, if you're, if you're eagle eyed on it, <laughs> but, but yeah. And as we know, that comes into factor a little bit, a uh, little bit yeah, later. Sure does. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so, um, uh, I mean, uh, it, yeah, the intro, I don't know. I, I, I dig it. It, it ramps up quick and kind of, uh, gives its own feel to the myth right off the bat, you know, um, and, you know, sets a stage where you're like, Oh, what the hell's going on? You know? Yeah, I was pretty confused. I um, yeah, I didn't know if this was their first time seeing the Minotaur. Um, the Colosseum also just looked like a giant meteor, like crash. Yeah, into the Earth, which is cool. Um, <laughs> when I didn't get... even pick up that that was probably the start of the Colosseum. Yeah. Um, the the bulls very graphic. So, yeah. Um, if you don't like graphic gore, blood images, um, this might not be for you. It gets quite intense later on in the story it does um and theseus says fuck a lot yeah that, that that's another thing <laughs> we'll talk about that later um and um i initially thought that the king straight up just like threw his daughter in there i know he gives him back yeah to, he, he um, throws he throws her back to uh i'm gonna call him day i don't day. i don't i don't know how to say his name so i'm gonna call him day i think I, with these greek names like i'm I'm not even going to apologize for my pronunciation because they're pronounced in so many different ways. And I'm just like, man, I don't, I just I don't gave everybody I'm just going to say how I, how I say it in my head. Yeah. I just gave everybody nicknames. I don't want to offend. I'll probably call Ariadne Ariana a bunch of times. And stuff. Arrakis. Yeah. Arrakis. <laughs> I don't know. No, but I, I thought that he straight up threw his daughter in there. Um, I know it shows him giving her back today. Yeah. But then he made that quote at the very end of that panel where, you know, he requires a second sacrifice or a different sacrifice. Yeah. And I thought he meant that the bull wasn't, you know, sufficient enough. So he was going to 
give his daughter instead. No, I mean, and as we, as we, you find out later, that's not right. Yeah. As we quickly find out, like, um, because, uh, you know, we, we basically right after that cut to eight years later Yeah. and, uh, now we're in Athens. Uh, we meet our main character and protagonist, uh, quote unquote protagonist, (laughs) Prince Theseus. (laughs) Um, Pretty boy Prince. Yeah. uh, Who is currently training in sword combat with his friend slash mentor, uh, Pirithus. Um, they have some light banter and kind of give each other some shit. Uh, when they noticed a ship approaching their docks at a distance, Theseus's father, King Aegis, approaches and tells him that the tribute is upon them and that they need to prepare to meet their Cretan guests. Uh, Theseus makes lights of this and implies how he'll go like grease up his ass or whatever. You know, he's a real dick and, and uh, <laughs> prepare for their arrival. Um, but King Aegis kind of immediately sort of goes into a lesson mode with him <clears throat> and uh, tells Theseus how they... Uh, they all have to make sacrifices for the greater good and how their home, Athens, is conquered, but at least it's still there. And um, he mentions how one day they'll be free of King Minos's ter- uh, tyranny. tyranny. Yeah. Uh, to which Theseus kind of responds by angrily walking away and uh, seems super disgusted with his father. You know, um, I I like uh, King Aegis's uh, depiction in this. Um, he's like the crushed spirit of Athens at this point, you know, I mean, uh, and, and it's like, I, I, I see his lessons and, um, you know, I see what he's trying to do, like, and, and, you know, like push Theseus to be like the hero he, he, he wants him to be, but like, uh, you know, it's, it's easy to see, I think why, uh, Theseus feels the way he does, even though he's like an angsty douchey teenager guy or young adult, you know, whatever old he's supposed to be at this point. Um, but like, you know, cause I mean, his dad just kind of rolls over for Crete, you know, yeah. I mean, no matter what. And, um, and I, I like how, you know, like I said, he's physically representative of that too, because I mean, he's, he's like old and decrepit and, you know, he, he speaks of like, you know, a bright future and revolution, but like, doesn't seem to have like a plan beyond like training his son, you know, for, for what he, it's not even really divulged into, you know? So I don't know. Aegis is a sad character. Yeah, and I think the artist does a really good job of, like, drawing his character well, too. He looks miserable. He yeah. doesn't look like he's... It looks like he's given up, even... Yeah, like, it's hard for him to even just, like, walk around, you know? Yeah. I mean, like, and, and just, uh, like, he sees things, and he's just always sad, you know, or whatever. Like, it's a... Yeah, it's it's very much that that tone. I, I think, he, yeah, Lucas Kettner nails it. Um, but, yeah, so, like... Uh, and we get this really cool scene because the, the Cretan ship arrives and um, it's all decked out with like Minotaur cult looking stuff. It's got the big black sails and sweet. Yeah. <laughs> the boat seems a little big, but yeah. it still looks really cool. It has like huge tower. I don't know if that's supposed to be the front or the back of the book, but it has like little Minotaur horns at the top. I thought that was kind of <laughs> cool. But, yeah, so like um, coming off the boat, a red robe figure with a uh, golden bull mask. Uh, Super slash, cool. Yeah. Slash helmet. That's that's awesome yeah i love that design um but he steps down and he's uh, accompanied by uh, glaucus and uh like a battalion of soldiers um they walk by theseus and uh other athens officials stand to kind of greet them theseus cracks a joke about the robe man's dick <laughs> he makes it he makes a dick joke about him already and you get his first um his first little nasty smirk smirk <laughs> i hate that smirk he does it all throughout the book it's just not pretty it's funny it's not it's it's kind of funny he's kind of a brat <laughs> yeah but i mean that i think that's the the goal is like you know because 
as I was saying before in these tales, like Theseus is like straight up hero, you know, it's like, he's, he's an archetypical hero. Um, you know, everyone loves him. He's just, uh, he's just great and he does great things and he, and he, you know, fucking had a great life or whatever, you know? And like, and in this, it's like, I, I see what, um, Paceto and Casamesa are trying to do where they're like, let's make him have like an arc. Let's make him grow into that character, you know, like as opposed to like just being that way right off the bat, which is, you know, even if you don't like him, I don't think you're supposed to really like him. You know, it's it's more just, uh, um, you know, it, it, it's more interesting to show him in that light, to show him go on that journey as opposed to just being a perfect character right off the bat, you know. Um, and he's not perfect, but I mean, like, he's also not like wholly unlikable, I think. Like, you know, you can sympathize with him to a degree. Yeah, no. Even though his ambitions are that of like a super young, like, you know, privileged guy kind of seeking glory. (laughs) But yeah. You don't get a good impression of him from the beginning for sure. But I mean, as soon as they land on Athens, um, that kind of quickly changes your your mindset of him because you see he's kind of got a good heart and wants to fight for the people. Yeah, he does care. Like he's not like he's not selfish in the way of like, you know, just like. A spoiled like you know prince who only cares about like you know his standing and what happens to him and things like that like he does he does care about people you know um his people at least um but yeah so like uh you know he makes a dick joke at him <laughs> and uh and uh the the man like turns to look at him and uh theseus does his little smirk smile and they kind of continue on their way uh we get this big sequence of panels where uh there's mostly no dialogue and it's just the soldiers gathering up young adult looking men and women around the city. Uh, everyone's panicking. Parents are crying. Soldiers are forcefully grabbing the tributes and, uh, Theseus and, uh, Pirithus are having to stand by and watch. Um, it's only when, uh, Pirithus says, uh, they are taking, uh, Melody. I think it's Melody. Yeah. I just call her Mel. Mel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll call her Mel. I didn't know how to pronounce that one. Um, yeah, and she's like, you know, a young woman around uh, Theseus's age, and um, Theseus basically just goes, fuck this. I think he literally says, fuck this. He does. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and and tries to interfere with the proceedings of uh, Pirithus stops him and reminds him that if they interfere, you know, King Minos will uh, burn Athens. And, you know, so after, like, all these tributes have been picked, um, we see some of the parents of the young people being paid for their, you know, quote-unquote sacrifice. Um Aegis uh, speaks to the helmeted man about how King Minos will be pleased with this year's offerings. Um, and I kind of love that because uh, we don't really see him interact with, um, you know, the Crete officials in the rest of the story. But like, he's very like, tim- I think he even says like, uh, like, you know, like he, he's, he's real timid talking to him. And it's just, it's just sad. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, the whole thing is just sad. And uh, at this point, um, one of the fathers of one of the sacrifices has drawn a sword and is going to attack the soldiers. Uh, King Aegis begs the Cretans to, you know, let them handle it themselves like in house. And, uh, he orders Theseus to do so to which, uh, you know, Theseus is, is real upset about. And, but he tells him, you know, uh, a Prince of Athens needs to act like one basically and, and deal with this kind of stuff. And Theseus approaches the man begrudgingly and starts to give him like, a half-assed version of his father's previous speech about like, you know, we all have to give sacrifices and, um, for the greater good. Um, but the guy whose name is, uh, Cytus, he's the father of Eunice, um, 
one of the sacrifices. Uh, he's just not hearing it. And he swings his sword at Theseus, um, calls him a whore of Crete, which is like a, a thing that comes back later. Um, Theseus catches the sword by actually like just grabbing it. Badass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, like cutting his hand in the process. And um, Cytus insults him uh, by calling him as lame and impotent as his father. And so Theseus like rips the sword from his hand and punches him to the ground. Uh, and here's a really important moment to the story, uh, where once knocked to the ground, uh, it's revealed that Cytus is, uh, he's crippled. Like he has a, he has a fake leg. And, um, uh, as he lays on the ground, he says, uh, what songs will they sing of this day when Prince Theseus beat a cripple to steal his daughter? And Theseus is, uh, like obsession with being in the songs is a real big theme in this story. Um, you know, one they come back to a lot. Like, yeah. you know, I mean, like it comes up in conversations a lot with the characters. Um, so, you know, as, as Cytus lies there, he's got like tears in his eyes. Theseus goes to help him up and it's Glaucus who, uh, offers Cytus, you know, the coin for a coin for his sacrifice. And Theseus tells him to keep the gold because it isn't worth shit in Athens. Um, you know, so that's kind of the end of that sequence. Uh, at least uh, with the, with the, the drama, uh, or I mean the the physical fighting, because um, the following page is kind of an interesting scene because we get a short little thing where Theseus is talking to Pirithous about how he thought like the people loved him, you know, like but this guy was like so quick to turn on him and you know called him a, a you know the whore of Crete and all that stuff and um the whole thing just gets to him in like a really big way and he you know approaches his father's carriage and. King A just like congratulates him on a job well handled basically because he didn't kill the guy. <laughs> and it's like, um, you know, to which Theseus is basically like, yeah, right, whatever, you know, and, and uh, he complains about, you know, what the songs might say of him, you know, like being like a, a, a prince who takes like, you know, daughters and sons from from people and stuff like that. And uh, to which King A just replies that. A true hero will persist in the face of hardship, no matter what the songs may say. And I, I think that that's a that's a super basic, like, you know, mythology style lesson. You know, like it's like it's like don't worry about what do the right thing, be the hero because it's the right thing to do. But like Aegis is just like totally fucking wrong here. You know, like it's just like I understand what he's trying to implement. You know, and that's a good lesson. But like. This is just not the situation for that. Like, it's just like, because I mean, Theseus is right. Like, I mean, all he did was like help these people get taken, you know? I mean, like, and and so what? Like, yeah, he didn't, he may, I mean, presumably the Cretans would have killed Cytus, but I mean, still, you know, like, it, it's just, I don't know. Just doesn't seem like the, the, the apt lesson to make at that point. <laughs> but so we cut to later that day where Theseus and Pirithous are drinking and hanging out by like a hot pool, you know, just typical ancient Greece stuff. Um, <laughs> and Theseus is obviously still upset and ranting. Um, the Minotaur, uh, like helmet leader approaches them and reveals himself to be day, uh, master of the labyrinth and she's chief advisor to King Minos. Uh, Theseus wants nothing more than to fight him. But as Pirithous holds him back, day kind of explains that, he wants them to help him in the madness of King Minos once and for all. He says, unless the king is stopped, uh, his his madness will devour the world. And after arguing and scuffling a bit, they kind of decide to go on the journey and pose as two of the sacrificial picks. Yeah, and that's uh, pretty much the end of uh, their time in Athens. 
Do they ever explain what's up with Day's eye? Is it like a gem? Does it do anything? So you know how it's like uh, that. That's one thing we should mention. So so Day has you know he he's self described as the master of the labyrinth. We don't know what that means yet. Um, we get a little bit. The context is like built throughout the story, like and uh, you know how his eye is kind of like that like gold color. So that factors into later in the story as well. I think I um, missed it. Yeah. <laughs> so like, uh, well, well I'll save that for, for when the okay. reveal comes actually in the story. Cause it, cause it is kind of interesting. And that one is like one of those that's super up for interpretation that I don't really know where that comes from. And I also don't know what it means. I just know the things that relate to it in the story, you know? So, but yeah. So like, uh, Oh yeah. Speaking of the the context of the master of the labyrinth thing, um, uh, the next part is like you know we see them on the boat approaching Crete, uh, you know they land they're coming to like you know the the outer walls of the labyrinth and uh, they're they're just like kind of looking at it and Theseus, you know who has like shorter hair now and is dressed like a commoner like you know didn't pick <laughs> up on that yeah it was like three pages after or well, not even three pages it was when um. King Minus like thumps uh Thee in the stomach. Yeah. Where it, I realized that was him. Yeah, yeah. And I yeah. didn't realize that they had cut their hair and jumped on board with Day as imposters, like trying yeah. to impose themselves as sacrifices. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um I thought that was well, weird. Well, Pirithus doesn't really fucking He looked not he, look he, much he looks, different. He looks the same. Like he he's just but I mean I guess they wouldn't like suspect him i guess like maybe they don't know what he really looks like i don't know because because i mean like fucking uh theseus doesn't think that they they would know what he looked like you know like even with cut hair and it's like i mean he's the why prince wouldn't of he know i mean like maybe they just haven't like seen him in I years guess. you know i mean like i mean it's not like they go to crete you know unless if they're brought by some sacrifices and it's been eight years or whatever so yeah yeah so i mean you know that you know, like I said, they're they're both dressed as commoners, and um, uh, uh, this is where Theseus asks Day if he built it, like implying the, like he's like he's like you built that, you know, or whatever, like pointing at the outer walls of the, uh, of the labyrinth, and uh, he responds by saying, uh, "The gods chose me as its caretaker. My mind shaped the labyrinth. My hand brought it to life." And uh, he lifts up this uh, star medallion that he wears around his neck, which is really important to the story later on. Um, so, you know, they, they dock and uh, they walk off the boat um, where a bunch of people are working on building a large structure, um, like right off the, basically right off the docks. And uh, Theseus comments on how uh, Minos, like, you know, he's like, he works, he works his people to death and all this stuff. And uh, the, all the people look miserable or whatever. And um, this reminds me so much of <laughs> that scene in Dragonheart where, <laughs> where, uh, <laughs> King Einan is grown up and uh, he's making all of the peasants rebuild that ancient ruined castle. Uh-huh. And uh, I, I just imagine like at this point, like you'd just see, you know, Quade, Quaid ride you. in. <laughs> He'd see Quaid ride in and just be like, he's like, Einan, you've been bewitched. What is this? It's madness. <laughs> then he tells Theseus to remember the code. <laughs> And then I fucking cry. It's <laughs> just going to turn into Dragonheart fucking quote podcast. <laughs> but, 
But yeah, so <laughs> anyway, uh, Theseus is just blabbing on about how uh, he wants to cut Minos's head off and show it to the crowd. And uh, he says a recurring line uh, in the book. This is the first time it's said, but he says, nothing makes a statement like a severed head. They are told to halt, and uh, King Minos actually approaches them. Uh, he's like walking around and like critiquing the builders. Super happy go lucky looking. Uh, yeah, like fucking nuts. And uh, he he looks them over and like joyously talks about how them being chosen is like a <clears throat> gift. Uh, one boy um, looks super sickly and is coughing, and so Minos says uh, he isn't fit to go before his son. And the boy has has like one panel of like being ecstatic, like you know he's all like he's like oh yeah I'm, get, I'm getting out of it. And then uh, Minos uh, runs a sword through his stomach and tosses him into the water. And the others are just kind of forced to watch the boy drown and bleed to death. Uh, and like during that, Minos names one of his uh, young soldiers, uh, Demophon, to take his place, like in the tributes, you know. And uh, Minos wipes some blood from the boy up from the ground and orders the workers to tear the amphitheater down and, and start over because the ceremony has to be pure. <laughs> Psycho. And you're like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, like. Uh, and we we cut to the uh, ensuing like there's like a ritualistic feast that they have with the tributes beforehand, and uh, you know Theseus and uh, Pirithous are discussing how Day is like sitting there, but he hasn't like given them a signal or anything yet to go along with the plan. Uh, he's just kind of sitting there. He's got his helmet on like at the feast and stuff, and they're like, "What is going on? Like, what what's the plan?" Because uh, their impression is like we're just coming here to kill King Minos. Like we're going to kill the mad King and fucking go back to Athens, be heroes and, and it's all going to be done. Yeah. And, um, it's here. Uh, we get, um, we saw her actually kind of overlooking them for one panel when they got off on the docks, but, um, uh, the princess isn't dead. Yeah. We get, uh, Ariadne. (laughs) Yeah. You know, eight years older, um, King Minos's daughter, uh, now grown up, uh, she proposes a toast to honor the sacrifices. And, uh, King Minos delights in this and gives like a little spiel about how Daedalus has told him like after this sacrifice, after this particular sacrifice that his son, who, you know, we know is the Minotaur, he calls it Asterion, um, will come forth and, uh, kind of join their Royal family, you know, like out of the labyrinth. Um, and, uh, he talks about how it will be a great union and starts to ponder about, uh, you know, ominously he starts going like, uh, but who would seek to stop it? Uh, he, uh, <laughs> He lifts the veil um, off of a roasted boar on the feast table and reveals the decapitated head of Daedalus in the boar's mouth. And uh, I love King Minos's line here on the reveal where he says he's going on about the thing. He's like, who would seek to prevent this joyous union? What foul, heartless monster would rip our eyes from the heavens and condemn us to wallow forever in this mortal muck? muck. <laughs> and then it's just like his fucking head like in the boar's mouth. And, uh, you know... With the body at the table revealed to be headless, obviously, uh, everyone's like in shock. And Glaucus, um, th- there's a little tiny like scene where Glaucus tells uh, Ariadne to not draw King Minos's attention, at least not yet. And it's here that King Minos gives the quote, uh, nothing makes a statement like a severed head and uh, points that, you know, uh, that he knows it's Prince Theseus in their presence, you know, in his so great disguise. 
Um, <laughs> it's not a good disguise. It's not a great disguise. I was all. like, why wouldn't this guy know it's him? <laughs> Especially with him coming back with all like the people that like went and grabbed all the sacrifices. Like they would have seen him before. I, I mean, I tipped mean, him off something. I mean, if he if Theseus is supposed to be Ariadne's age, he would know. Well, we don't know that because know. because we don't know if they've seen each other in like that eight years. So like, I mean, Ariadne doesn't look like her child self. You know, I mean, mm. like. I don't know. I think it's plausible in like an old timey, like ancient Greek way that they would be like, oh, he won't recognize me, you know, because I'm dressed in commoner clothes and I cut my hair. I've got glasses. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I mean, you know, I, I, I can see why they would think it worked in like just an old timey story way, you know, <laughs> but like, and then we get the, the plot reveal that like Minos is a, a total fucking moron, you know? So, like, but. so with this scene here, when um, Glaucus, is that how you say his name? I'd call it, yeah, Glaucus, yeah. When he told the princess not to make herself be seen to her father with her visible emotions, was he in on it with her and Day? Yeah, I mean, he's, he's uh, later in the story, like, revealed, because, you know, he tries to help uh, the queen, like he oh, offers yeah, yeah, to yeah. help her and stuff like that. So, I mean, uh, he's, he's, you know, plotting against okay. Minos as well, like knows that he's kind of, you know, a crazy guy or whatever. Um, but yeah, like, uh, Theseus, of course, like after this reveal immediately jumps the table, uh, topples the guard, steals a spear. Let's fight. Yeah. <laughs> and as he approaches King Minos though, uh, he falls and, uh, as do all of the other sacrifices because the cups were drugged and, Minos like mocks Theseus as he blacks out and the scene ends with Minos stating sleep now and when you wake you will see your folly you will see the house of Asterion that's a cool little end yeah you know to that scene at least because now um is one of the first times that we uh we <clears throat> jump back for like a little exposition scene um uh in which uh we, we we're back in Athens and Aegis is seen like you know it's like late at night and He's, he's walking around and he picks up a sword like, uh, and, uh, Queen Medea, 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 <laughs> like Tyler Perry, Tyler Perry's Medea, oh, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, uh, she, she approaches him and, uh, they, they have a conversation about like, you know, weaknesses and she's trying to push him to be stronger for Athens. And, uh, she recounts how, you know, in the past, I guess he had an opportunity where he could, he could have struck down King Minos, um, you know, years ago, but he chose not to because it was right after Minos had, had just lost his son who he expressed being so distraught over, uh, at the very beginning of the book, um, saying that, you know, the Minotaur Asterion was, uh, you know, the gift from the gods, like, you know, his adopted son type of thing. And, um, uh, you know, kind of, that that's what triggered or what seems to have triggered like Minos's like ruthless, crazy, like version of his rule in so the last So his son decade. died in the war? We don't know if it, so in the, uh, in the myths, like he dies in like a few different ways. Okay. Like it, like there's different interpretations. Like, uh, I think that the one they're going with, they don't say it expressly. We do find out who killed Later his on, son, yeah. but um, I think the one that they're going with is that King Minos's son, the prince, went to Athens to participate in the games and must have perished there, like either on accident or 
whatever. I mean, like I said, the interpretations in the actual myths are like, they vary, you know, it could be from a war. It could be from, you know, he was trying to, you know, prove that he was great or whatever, and like a test of strength or whatever, and then ends up dying. And like, that's what, you know, triggers his like a uh, loss and like, you know, kind of adopting the, the, or seeing the Minotaur as like his adopted son, son or whatnot. Yeah. Weird. Um, you know, so, I mean, uh, yeah, we never really find out specifically how he died, but we do find out who killed him. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, there's a lot of, that's, that's kind of an interesting facet of the story too, is that there's a lot of, um, <clears throat> like avenues of blame to be had, like by all these different characters, like as we find out, you know, it's like, and, and there's really no like clear cut answer as to like, you know, there's no one finger you can really point at, at least to, as to like why all this happened. Because I mean, as far as we know, King Minos might've been fucking nuts before his son died, you know, but like, and this just pushed him to start doing more extreme stuff. We don't, we don't really know, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, but you know, it's a, uh, it's, 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 it's an interesting thing to kind of look at as the story goes on. Um, but yeah, um, uh, it, and Aegis, you know, also argues, you know, in saying that like he didn't kill Minos when he had the chance and, and saying that he, he, he also says like, you know, I didn't know that Minos would turn on us like this, you know, like I didn't think he would fucking His son die. Yeah, yeah, like, I mean, like, you know, <laughs> it, it's just one of those things. Yeah. And like, um, the scene ends with a uh, guard informing them that, uh, you know, Theseus is missing and, uh, you know, they don't know where he is. So back to Theseus, uh, he wakes up alone in a chamber with many doors he quotes Daedalus from earlier and, uh, you know, says, references the the illusion of choice because, you know, there's so many of these different doors and uh, he just picks a doorway and and, and follows it. Uh, he, reaches, he, he reaches the end and um, he ends up on like a balcony overlooking the giant labyrinth. Super sick looking. Yeah, it's a, it's a really cool like double page splash. Um, yeah, he's, he's like surrounded, you know, <laughs> like it's within miles of ancient ruins and fortresses and you know, the, the paths are like lit up in like these weird yellow colors and it's just like frantic and all over the place. It's, it, it's really, yeah, I don't know. It's, it really captures the, the vastness of it. I think it's super cool and just like ominous feeling. Definitely not like, you know, any interpretation I'd really seen before mm-hmm. in like an artist's rendition of it. Um, but yeah, so he, he's basically like freaked out and he runs back the way he came and finds a peculiar looking waterfall, which is another thing that happens a lot in this story. Um, and it's a uh, falling upside down, like defying gravity. And, uh, he reaches in to grab some to like kind of drink. And it's kind of interesting too, cause he almost seems like he's in a trance. Like, you know, he's like, he's really like eye glazed, like, you know, just like, just like fascinated by it. And when he goes to drink it, um, a voice behind him warns against drinking the water there. And uh, Theseus turns and sees an armor-clad warrior with a mask and hood on. Uh, she's got a bow and arrow. Uh, she tosses him a water bag, and they have a back and forth about basically why uh, why he should trust her. Um, she throws a sword at his feet and tells him that they have a mission to do. And uh, he tosses the water bag back at her and catches her off guard, uh, revealing he recognizes her voice as uh, Princess Ariadne. Um he holds a sword kind of like to her throat and is questioning her about how to get out. Um, she says there is no way out, explains how she knows that the plan that Daedalus had that involved choosing Theseus. Um, she also says uh, getting him in the labyrinth was always the plan uh, because the plan is to kill the Minotaur. <laughs> Name of the book. 
I thought it was how to kill the Minotaur for a while. (laughs) (laughs) How to kill the Minotaur. How to kill it. How to kill the Minotaur. (laughs) Yeah, so Theseus thinks the whole thing is just fucking dumb and uh, continues to ask her how to get out. Uh, And she kind of elaborates a little bit more and explains that, um, you know, they came through this water um, and there is no like path out, no path back. Uh, and, you know, during explaining that she catches him off guard, kicks him down and, and runs away, but she does leave him the sword. Um, so Theseus manages to meet up with the other sacrifices from Athens, including Pirithus. Uh, most are happy to see him. Some are a little bitter. Um, they hear a cry for help and Theseus runs towards the cries, uh, with his sword in hand. Uh, he finds the crying boy from earlier when, uh, they were, um, you know, kind of being looked over by King Minos on the docks. Timon. Timon. Yeah. This is, this is Timon, uh, who we don't find out is Timon for a really long time. Like they don't <laughs> say his name until like way further in the story, which I thought was kind of strange upon rereading. I was like, I was like, okay. Oh, I don't know if that's like supposed to be a reveal because like, like Timon's, I mean, yeah, he's an important character, but like, did it, did it have to be saved? Like, you know, <laughs> that much? I don't know. It's kind of a weird choice, but I mean, you know, whatever he's a, he's a, he's a fun, interesting character in this story. Um, but yeah, so the, he, he finds Timon and, uh, like he's sitting on the ground in shock and he's drenched in blood and the Cretan, uh, soldier Demophon is standing there with him. And, uh, Theseus runs up and immediately tells Demophon, he's like, get out of the way, you know, or whatever. And, uh, the boy, uh, Timon tells Theseus that he saw it and it chose Eunice. Um, down the corridor, we see Eunice on the ground. Uh, she looks and says Theseus's name before being dragged away by an unknown capture. Theseus runs around the corner only to find like a zigzag, gross looking organic wall thing, what? which <laughs> which is like... It just looks gross. Yeah, man. I don't know. Like the whole organic nature of the labyrinth is something that I... It's horrifying. That I really fucking dig. I think it's like, really horrifying. Like, but it's like one of those things it's like just fucking gross to like imagine and look at. Like, <laughs> but it, But it gives you that feeling and like that's... I think, I mean, that's what it's supposed to elicit, you know? So, I mean, like, I think it's, it's just exceptionally well done. I'm going to come out and just say it right now. This is more of like an overall thought, but like Lucas Kettner is like the fucking MVP of this fucking book. He's like, he's so good, dude. Like, and I, I, I have looked for other things that he's involved in and like, he does do stuff every now and then, but he does not like produce a whole lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. He's, he seems pretty picky with his work or, or something i don't know but he's great man like i mean he's like i said he's he's the the star in my head of this book <laughs> in terms of like the people you know i mean yeah i don't know just his designs and everything is just so cool um uh, really sells the whole like modern take different idea of the of the myth you know like but yeah so anyway the, the rest of the group catches up and they're all understandably freaking the hell out. Uh, they talk of the legend of the Minotaur, and Pirithus tries to take Theseus aside and tell him, like, kind of counsel him and be like, hey, like, uh, you know, don't run ahead like that. You know, I'm, uh, you're, you're, these are your people. They're scared. You know, you got to. You have to lead br- them. Br- yeah, lead them, bring them up, you know. And, and um, it strikes a chord uh, with Pir- when Pirithus tells Theseus to take responsibility. Like, he specifically says that. And, uh, which Theseus fires back with the reveal that Pirithus is the one responsible for the death of King Minos' son. And 
yeah it's like oh shoot and like <laughs> <laughs> but so you know in an essence like you know we could blame Pirithus for this um whole thing or i mean like mm. he or at least you can tell that like Pirithus like that that hurts him you know like to think that i mean uh obviously like in the grand scheme of things it's not his fault you know i mean but it, it is something that you know it's it's a piece of the tapestry that you know formed these events basically so it's uh so you know the fact that theseus would hold that over his head is just another example example of you know his his immaturity and and lack of arrogance actual leadership at this point you know um yeah so theseus does after that even though try to calm all of them down uh he's it kind of deducing like, oh, this is probably just the work of some exotic creature that we don't know, you know, like that's just Lisa there. And, uh, you know, it, it basically is like implying like, you know, if we all work together, we can hunt and defeat it, you know, or whatever. And, and, uh, you know, so they, they actually go through the wall and they follow like this alien looking intestinal style path that leads them to another room with a bunch of doorways. And, a lot of weird intertwining like floating water streams that you know are defying gravity like before uh one of the sacrifices uh antius um gets stuck in the wall and uh, as they try to pry him out the wall like closes itself <laughs> and <laughs> it's after uh, it, it's a it's an important <clears throat> distinction to make too that it's because when uh, oh, the blood. Theseus, yeah, um, uh, tries to is one of the ones trying to help pull him out, and he cuts his hand on there, and it closes, um, severing Antius's arm and presumably consuming the rest of him, because <laughs> he says later that the wall ate him. <laughs> so it's like that's pretty. Yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, it's 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 pretty gruesome. But uh, <laughs> this uh, also um, happens to split uh, Pirithus. Uh, from the main group um, because he was behind the wall you know with with Antius at that point Uh, and then the walls like after that start they they groan and they move and uh, the group kind of realizes like oh this thing can change and like doors can close and walls can like shut down like at at any time and uh, Soleus uh, the bitter sounding Athenian from before figures they should uh, interrogate Demophon since he's a Cretan uh, and he doesn't really know anything other than like, you know, the labyrinth is always shifting and changing and Theseus doesn't really trust him that, that that's all that he knows. And, uh, while interrogating him, he, he breaks one of his arms and then, uh, it's actually Mel who tries to stop him, but, uh, he only does so when they hear another strange cry for help. And it sounds like Eunice again, like from before, like, on you know, help. Um, and, uh, Mel is the one who runs off saying like, Oh, we got to help her, you know? And, uh, she slips on like, she runs around a corner, slips around a bunch of blood and body pieces. And they come upon uh, Eunice's mangled, <gasps> ripped up body. <laughs> and like yeah, her head is like off. <laughs> and, uh, like they are all in shock and they stare at her corpse. Um, as they do these giant footsteps approach yelling in Eunice's voice, help, please, Oh gods, and it's here we get our first look at the uh, grotesque, Ugh. disproportionate, ugly, crazy-looking Minotaur. What'd you think of this <laughs> design? <laughs> I think I think that you know when you were saying like me showing you some of the 
part of this when this was coming out, like, you know, five years ago. Um, I think I remember showing you this. I was like, look at this fucking version of the Minotaur. Like, it's fucking crazy, you know? Yeah, I don't remember seeing this Minotaur when you were first reading this at all. Yeah. Um, Because that image has stuck with me. Like, this particular one is, like, kind of the image that I think of when I think of the book. I'll say... I wasn't a huge fan at first. It grew on me as I yeah. read the book, and I think it fit in well, his design, because it really added to that horror element and really made you fucking scared. Yeah. But uh, like, I think it, it adds a lot more as the story goes on when you see the way that, that it moves yeah. and like works and like fights and creeps around and stuff. It adds a lot more. So, like, I mean, we haven't seen that to this point, like, yeah. because because this is like the big like shot of like, this is what it looks like, you know? Um, and I don't know, that shit like really stuck with me when I first read it. Like I said, it's kind of the image that just comes to mind when I think of this book. I don't know. I, I wasn't a huge fan. It, it wasn't what I would have pictured it to be just seeing it's definitely pictures not, of minotaurs. It's definitely not traditional. It, that's for sure. <laughs> I don't, it's some scary skinless, I don't know, freakish, weird, muscle. resident evil. Yeah. The resident thing, evil is a good, the thing. Oh yeah, monster. Yeah, very, very much the thing. Yeah. Super creepy, and the goopy eyes. I think it works just in the fact that, like, it's just, it's just like, it looks like a demon from hell. It's, un- it's unsettling, like the way it that it gross. moves. I love too. Like I, I, like, he's in like a spider pose. <laughs> like he's part. Like I like, I like the idea that like when he moves around the corridors and stuff, he's like got his arm partially, on the ceiling partially and the on the ceiling and the walls and stuff. Like just like this, like creepy fucking thing like it, it's yeah i don't know just this, i hate his face it looks too well it changes a lot too it does like you know i mean uh and that's not because of art inconsistency it's actually because of like the concept it. of it like yeah it's it's, it's morphing and like changing Ugh. and stuff and uh yeah like um it's it, real scary this is also where we get um i guess we can talk about the thing we were talking about earlier with uh day's eye so if you notice the minotaur has yellow eyes Nope, didn't catch on to that. Yeah, and it's and it's frequently crying like yellow streams of like I, I assume tears. I thought it was <laughs> but, an eye infection, just uh, goopy, gross yellow stuff. No, so like uh, so uh, you see, Day's eye does that later in the story when we get a flashback, and um, uh, it may have something to do with other people as we go along, but, um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so that's, this is the first sight that we kind of get of that, um, uh, the, the liquid coming out of the yellow eyes. Um, uh, but yeah, so after this, um, we actually, we cut back to uh, King Minos and Glaucus and they're outside of this, uh, gate, which, um, you know, we can deduce is the waterfall gate that leads them into the, uh, the labyrinth. Super uh, sick looking. Yeah. It's really cool. It's like super like, stargate like alien like type thing um and uh minos uh and glaucus they have a conversation and uh um minos actually asks him if it feels like they're like doing the right thing and glaucus says he believes they are doing everything to ensure the survival of crete uh and they have like a, a neat little conversation about desires and how king minos uh felt you know, lost and disconnected from the gods after his son died, but they, they gave him the means to rise up with Asterion. And, uh, he then like kind of justifies everything they're doing, uh, you know, further giving context for just how crazy all of this has 
kind of made him, you know, like he, he's like, he's like, no, it's going to be great. Like it's a, you know, the union and we'll be closer to the gods than ever. And so, you know, just, just showing us how crazy he is some more. And, uh, back in the labyrinth, um, our group is running, you know, as far away as they can get. Uh, one gets caught another smashed by the ceiling coming down on him. Uh, and that, this is fucking gross because like, uh, <laughs> they're like, oh, like, oh God. Yeah. Well, they all have to crawl through it. Like they, uh, oh, I didn't realize like, that. I um, thought it was the, just him. Yeah. Well, oh, wait, maybe it is just him who crawls down. So like, cause it looked like he was like going the opposite direction of them. Yeah. Okay. So like he, he, they, they, you know, um, the, the wall comes or the ceiling comes crashing down like a big pillar smashes one of them and it lifts up like just <laughs> enough so that Timon can like crawl through it. And this is like the classic horror movie moment where he's underneath the scary place, crawling through the goop, <laughs> the, the crawling through the goop of his fucking friend. Ugh. And like, and uh, yeah, you see the Minotaur's foot and uh, he kind of like whispers underneath his breath. He's like, he's like, Oh gods. And like, it's cool because there's like not really any dialogue besides Timon just whispering to himself. And he's like, Oh gods, please. Oh gods. And uh, the Minotaur actually looks at him like it, it, it dips down and looks at him and then it leaves. Like it leaves him alone. And you're like, huh, that's weird. <laughs> and then, uh, a, a hand comes out from the side and, uh, and grabs him, um, uh, pulls him out of that, that little area. Um, so the rest of the group, they keep running through corridors and they like eventually get caught between some fallen walls. The Minotaur appears before them out of some smoke and Theseus goes at it with his sword and, you know, he, he kind of has a hero moment here where he's like, if any of you somehow survive this, make sure that I get a good song. And he runs at it. But um, as he goes to attack it, like right before they connect, a uh, yellow stream of light comes from the ground. And these like big organic spikes, kind of like what we saw uh, pinning the bull up in the, uh, in the you know, prologue, uh, come out of the ground and they stab the Minotaur all over. <clears throat> and they kind of hold it in place temporarily before it, it seems to explode. <laughs> <laughs> and um it's then revealed that you know Ariadne uh, is the one who helped uh by you know putting her star pendant thing into the ground and it caused this light thing to happen and these spikes to come up as like a trap uh she's also revealed to be the one who helped uh Timon um and it's applied uh or like I said it's it's implied that the attack came from her using the necklace um and like Theseus like unrighteously <laughs> rejoices in the fact that they just killed the Minotaur, quote unquote. But uh, Ariadne explains it's far from over and they have to get to the center if they want to truly kill it. Um, and they have to do it quickly because the labyrinth will collapse soon, setting the Minotaur free. Uh, she talks about how if uh, if that happens, it, it will like devour everything. You know, like if it gets out, it'll, it'll grow and it'll it'll eat armies, cities, nations, you know, Um as she's explaining this too, like they're going along and uh, she cuts her finger with the necklace pendant and uh, it illuminates like a yellow streak that they can follow. And it's presumably to get to the center of the maze. Uh, Solius is uh, obviously opposed to following the Cretan princess, but Theseus says that, you know, it's what we have to do. What, what else are we going to do? You know I mean? And uh, while they walk, we see uh Solius kind of conspire with Timon who, uh, this is actually the where we learn he is Timon, by the way. It took all this fucking time, but and uh like they're talking about they they ominously say, like, you know, like, oh, we we might have to take our matters into our own hands, you know, if if this uh keeps going this way. 
because you know they have such a or at least uh Soleus has such a hard on for hating the Cretans, you know, and uh not unjustly or anything, but you know, he's just he's just super extreme about it. He will not give them a chance at all and now doesn't want to work with them. And uh I uh I think it's interesting that those two are like the conspirators because like they definitely don't have the the same mindset. Like Soleus just hates the Cretans, you know, wholeheartedly. Well, Timon uh has been getting hit with like God talk the entire story. Like the few times we've seen him, like, you know, King Minos uh on the docks, like is right in his face when he's saying that stuff about like how, you know, your sacrifice is a gift, like, you know, I'm uh to to the gods and like, you know, Asterion is his god and he, and then, you know, he says that thing while the Minotaur is like, you know, right there. Uh, in his experience just before this where he's like he's like gods please help me gods please help me and then the minotaur goes away so to timon he's like on this weird like religious journey <laughs> which i think is just kind of weird that that you know i mean it's uh it's it's an interesting angle and uh i love that they're uh kind of different motives uh put them on the same page where they're like well we don't really want to do this the way that you know theseus and them are doing it right now but yeah so like they make their way to the center where uh, they find a wall they can't breach. Um, it's here through their conversation that uh, Ariadne explains that her father's intent is to wed her to the beast. And it's like, ew, big ew. <laughs> What'd you think of that reveal? I hate it. Well, yeah. I hate it so much. <laughs> it's pretty gross. It gets grosser as we go on. So, um, uh, <laughs> but the walls in this room... Uh, also have what look to be like these sculptures of like people, like just like molded into them. And uh, one of them looks like Eunice and uh, Theseus like goes to touch it and it grabs him and like attacks him like it moves. You're not going to mention how he touches it? Oh God. Yeah. He's super perv about he's it. He's like the biggest pervert in the world. Yeah. He's pretty terrible. This is, a, this is his people. This is his people who died. Well, and he thinks it's a sculpture. It, regardless. I know it's not an excuse. It's I'm not just an saying. excuse. Don't. <laughs> He grabs her boob, guys. Yeah, yeah, he does. He grabs her boob. And, Ari- and Ariadne's like... Dude, <laughs> she's the like, fuck? She's like, you're... Like, really? <laughs> she, yeah, she's like, what the fuck? But, um... So, I'm just gonna shrug that off. I was shrugging it off. <laughs> I had it in my it notes. That's it. I was gonna wait for you to bring it up. I was pissed. <laughs> asshole. But, um... Back to hating him again. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but Dimophon actually, like cuts the arm off of it uh because it's like grabbing him by the throat you know and it leaks some of that like mystical water into his face and it causes him to have like this nightmare vision um uh i was gonna say before the nightmare vision too this uh scene does have some good exposition uh where ariadne talks about daedalus and how uh you know he shaped the labyrinth with his mind and um we also find out that uh she's not 100 percent keen on what the plan was um knowing only kind of the basics of what Daedalus had told her. Like, she doesn't have, like, all the answers, you know? She just knows, like, we got to get to the center. Like, he said that that's how we'll defeat him. And um, so there's kind of, like, you know, they, they're flying by the seat of their pants. And uh, in Theseus's vision here, uh, he, you know, just, it's like a nightmare where he uh, he dreams that, you know, he is, like, this whore of Crete, and he gets hounded by Cytus, who 
you know, morphs into Minos. Um, so he cuts the head off of Minos, but then it morphs into his dad's head and it like makes him puke and he, he comes back to reality, like just, uh, getting that stuff out of his system. And, uh, they discover, you know, they put it together at this point that the labyrinth reacts to freshly spilled blood. And there's now this like melted looking hole in the wall. Uh, so they break off some of these, like, the alien looking spikes and they use them as spears and pry their way into the center room of the labyrinth. Uh, the center is like this big open room with a giant altar and, uh, you know, like an obelisk and a, there's, there's a big well and, uh, it's got like curved staircases leading around it. Um, there's this like sink size container and at the bottom of the altar, uh, it appears to have like this strange kind of like, like husk of like a bug or something in it and ariadne holds up her pendant and says cryptically this is where it all started this is where it ends what do you think of the little bug thing this is like the first time we see it <laughs> yeah <laughs> well the first time we see it i don't know it it it's like a weird larva larva thing. alien thing yeah the whole ship design super alien like too yeah so it was weird for me because it's supposed to be like from the gods well and it just looks super sci-fi that's just how they decipher it so that's not even i mean there i mean you know in the greek mythological tales the gods are obviously real in Mm -hmm. those and they interact with humanity and these characters and stuff but like we don't see any of that in this there's no god could just be a fucking alien Weird. I think that's the implication and, and like, you know, like, like it's just some <laughs> weird, weird alien thing. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. So what we're actually talking about here is like, um, we get treated to a flashback from eight years before where the story began, but, uh, Daedalus and his son, Icarus, get a little, Who we shot never of, hear from again, get a little shot of Icarus. Never hear that's from gonna, him again. Well, you know, he's Icarus. He flies into the sun. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, um, uh, but you know. <clears throat> I thought that was a nice little, nice little nod. But yeah, it is weird that he doesn't like do anything. <laughs> he doesn't come back. <laughs> um, uh, but maybe he's already dead by the time that, you know, the modern part of the story takes place. Um, but yeah, so they witness something crash land uh, not far from their home. And Daedalus tells his son to go to the city and tell the king. Uh, we get this big reveal of like, like Elena was saying, this uh, strange looking like alien mass. And uh, the next sequence is like this textless panel layout showing Daedalus discovering this crash ship thing. Uh, he finds the pendant above the altar uh, where he takes it or when he takes it, his eyes and mouth, like they, they like light up, you know, with like yellow, like light and power. And uh, he cuts his finger over the sink and a strange little small creature with horns makes a sound as it squirms under the mystical water. <laughs> it goes squee. squee. And uh Yeah. This is what I was talking about. Yeah, like it's a, uh, how do you think that, the, I, I know that the implication here is like, obviously like with little horns and stuff that this thing became <clears throat> the Minotaur, you know, or the creature that they refer to as the Minotaur. But like, what, what do you think the logistics of this are? Like, like, do you think it's because like he dropped the blood on it? Like it, it morphed and became like this weird humanoid hybrid thing? Or is it like. Cause I mean, when it kills things, it starts morphing and taking on properties of it. Like it could talk like Eunice or mimic Eunice at least like, but I, I just, I still don't know what like the implication is here or like the, the actual logistics of this. I don't know. <laughs> you know, I think it's cool that it's up for interpretation, 
but it's almost like almost too vague with it, with there being such specific designs and specific decisions to show like this drop of blood hitting it, you know, this thing happening that like all, all these, all these random little things that are so on purpose, you'd think you'd have a bit more of a concrete explanation, but I don't know if the concrete explanation would be better than like us just like it kind needs of blood. imagining it. Yeah. Like, you know I mean? <laughs> like it's a, uh, I don't know. It's just the labyrinth wasn't even moving until it had like the blood and like. Yeah. Well, because it's like when he takes the, uh, the medallion and it's like, he's imbued with that power. It's like, he's intrinsically tied to it mm-hmm. and like it grows with how he thinks That's like, weird. you know, cause they, they kind of go into that a, a little bit, um, right after this. Um, but yeah, like I love that it's like just the design in general of like this, like ship, and like the the alien nature of this, like I love that it's alien, but still like very ancient feeling. Like it has like that. Um, you you just don't get that that very often. And if you do, it's not done very well. Like the best example to me will always be like the xenomorphs from Alien. Like they have this weird like you know crazy sci-fi alien look to them, obviously. But like the surroundings and everything are always like these like weird ancient ruins and like just a a strange like kind of ancient feel to them like as well as like being this like crazy thing from space you know like it's a i I dig that kind of design and i think that this one's done pretty well but yeah like ending that flashback uh we get a bunch of outside panels kind of showing the dark labyrinth growing into what it is today and Ariadne talks of how Daedalus grew the labyrinth to contain the Minotaur, but like nothing could kill it. Like he kept trying to use the labyrinth to kill it, but you know, it, like whatever he could morph with his mind, it, it just wouldn't work. It wouldn't kill the Minotaur. And um, once King Minos took an interest, uh, it became harder to stop at all. Uh, Theseus gets frustrated because there appears to be no clear cut answer as to how this room will help them defeat the beast. Um, you know, it's just a room with the stuff that we talked about earlier in it. (laughs) And, uh, they start to hear noises implying that something is approaching and they all brace, uh, only to find that it's a period. Uh, he finally found his way back to the group, uh, basically by following the bodies in the labyrinth's wake and, uh, overjoyed at finding his friend. Theseus is like just immediately talking about them all escaping and he's like, since the walls are rotting away, we could we could find a way to break through and all this stuff. And uh, Ariadne argues, saying like they can't leave because they they gotta complete the task, you know. And um, uh, when Theseus won't let up, uh, Pirithus butts in to, you know, convince him to try, and Theseus still won't budge. So he gives him a bit of truth and tells him how <laughs> a place in the songs won't be handed to him like everything else in his life. And it's like, ooh, burn. <laughs> yeah, and, and Theseus exchanges some harsh words, uh, calling Pirithus basically like a paid for friend, because you know he's he's like he's he's like his trainer and mentor, and like uh, you know says that he's paid by his father and he's not a real friend or whatever. And uh, Pirithus is obviously hurt by this, but he you know re- rebukes that by saying like uh, he befriended uh, Theseus because he thought that. Or he he liked Theseus and could help him become a great king. And Theseus kind of pouts off to the side while Pirithus takes control of organizing everybody and stating, um, he even states that he trusts uh, Demophon. And Pirithus goes off to lure the Minotaur to them while they all like prep and like kind of like make 
makeshift weapons and things like that. Uh, and Theseus, you know, kind of being the stubborn brat, can't roll in his eyes again. He, he can't. He can't take not being involved. Uh, so he begins to help with the preparations, and he gets uh, particularly close to working with uh, Ariadne. And uh, you know, Demophon warns Ariadne of the uh, Athenians' inevitable betrayal, but you know, she believes like you know, it, it, like we can't fight them and the Minotaur. Like the, our only chance is to befriend them and and hope for the best kind of thing. And uh, Soleus is like bitterly watching all this cooperation and tensions are building within him. Same with Timon, um, who says he's afraid they might win. Like he's afraid, like he doesn't want to beat the Minotaur because he thinks it's like God's will for or the God's will for the Minotaur to succeed, you know? And uh, we cut to a scene where in uh, King Minos is just having some ladies pleasure him. Ugh. And it's a, it's pretty gross. <laughs> it's really nasty. This is the, okay. Okay. Let's get into this. This is where I was like, let's, okay, go back yeah. to the gore, please. Let, let's get into this. Okay. So, no. Gla- so, Gla- <laughs> so Gla- it is, but Glaucus enters with Queen Pasiphae with him to inform him that Ariadne is missing. Um, Glaucus like immediately takes the fall and he's like, I take full responsibility and I'll take whatever punishment, you know, but King Minos simply walks by him and stands next to a steer shaped cage that they have made to fit Ariadne into so that she may mate with the Minotaur. And King Min- Minos says uh, to Glaucus that this isn't about punishment. It's the fact that someone must take Ariadne's place in the ceremony. And he looks back at his queen who starts to have tears swell in her eyes. And it, yeah, my only note on this is this is the most fucked up scene in the book. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, like, I mean, I love the reference to the original myths and it's great that they made like this I love that they made it like a terrible messed up thing, like the whole like steer cage thing, you know, uh, because by basically any standard of uh, the 1900s and on, uh, it's super fucking weird. And um, like I, you know, because because in the myth, like we, we talked about it earlier, but like that's not played off like it's a weird ass thing. Like, it's just like, yeah, you know, she she made herself look like a bull so that it would you know do her and you're like you're like okay okay we're just gonna skip over that okay <laughs> like you know like yeah like it's just and a lot of myths are like that but like i love that they just they they obviously saw that and they were like well that's fucking weird <laughs> and they turned it into like this weird plot device like contraption yeah it's like i don't know it, it you know as much as i hate it in concept like it's very effective of like just showing like they, they just ramp up Minos every time you see him because to be completely honest, like if we're talking like just page real estate in this whole book, Minos isn't on like a lot of pages. You don't get him like talking that much and all these like cutback scenes that we keep going to, they're all like maximum three pages. Like they, they do not take up a lot of space and like, yeah, you just, I love how they managed to get a good progression out of him like right from the get go. I mean, I mean, you know, you see him, you know, at the eight years prior and you're like, oh yeah, this guy's crazy mad King guy. But like, he just gets worse and worse every time that you see him. And it's like, that's, that's a uh, impressive narratively. I think that they could ramp up the stakes like on an already like insane, crazy mad King guy. Um, but yeah, like back in the labyrinth, <laughs> the group are prepared and uh, Pirithus comes running back. The Minotaur bursts through the wall, still quoting Eunice, and uh, a bloody battle ensues. Shit ton of them die. 
um, at one point, Soleus actually pushes Ariadne down the stairs. Um, it's kind of like, it's not an accident, but <laughs> like, I don't think he means to at that moment, uh, you know, and this infuriates Demophon, obviously, because that's his princess. And uh, Timon like stabs Demophon through the chest, even though uh, Soleus said, and Soleus like yells at him and he's like, he's like, no, I said to wait till after we deal with the Minotaur. And uh, Ariadne now face to face with the Minotaur at the bottom of the steps. She's like, you know, on the ground. Uh, she yells that she will not let it take her, holds up the pendant and it walks right past her. <laughs> Why? She has the pendant, something going Why? on with the pendant. What's with the pendant? And uh, it walks right past her to kill Soleus. And, uh, and you know, once he's dead, everyone's happier. I know I was. Guy sucked. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't great. <laughs> even even Timon won't try to save him. Well, he's like, well, he's like being impaled or whatever by the Minotaur. Like, uh, granted, I mean, he's all drunk on thinking the Minotaur is like holier, holy and stuff or whatever. But like, I like to think that even... Even Timon thinks that Soleus is the worst. <laughs> but yeah, so I also just love the uh, the silent panels of the Minotaur walking past Ariadne. Like it like, you know, kind of roars in her face a little. And it's just like four like panels where it's just, uh, it just walks past her. I think that's kind of neat. It's got a very like cartoony feel to it. But like, it's, it's also like, oh, well, you know, kind of scary and cool. Uh Theseus at this point goes for like a killing blow, but the Minotaur gets the better of him. And uh, Mel actually comes in, has this big hero moment where she stabs the Minotaur in the chest and it actually saves Theseus, but um, uh, causes the Minotaur to grab her and uh, she gets her head brutally crushed <laughs> uh, for, for doing so. Um, this puts uh, Pirithus into a rageful frenzy and uh, he stabs the Minotaur, getting it to like fall and Ariadne screams that it's wounded and they have to strike now, but uh, it grabs Pirithus's head and you think like, oh shit, like he's going <laughs> to get Squish crushed. Yeah. And then, um, and then uh, luckily though, Theseus comes in right on time, decapitates the Minotaur. Yay. <laughs> and at this point, like, I don't know why, but every time I read this story, like, I, I mean, like I know, I know that it keeps going. So I know that the Minotaur's not actually dead, but this moment always feels good. Cause you're always like, you're always like, Oh, he did it. You know? And, and then like, but then I'm like, wait, like two issues ago, we saw it like literally explode and it's fine now. Yeah. Like I was like, Oh, this ain't no, there's more. Yeah. <laughs> but like, um, you know, obviously the story's not over. Uh, Theseus joyfully celebrates the idea of using the head as a trophy and, uh, he sees, uh, <laughs> yeah, he, yeah, immediately. <laughs> and like, and he sees Pirithus upset and tells him he's sorry about Mel and Pirithus rightfully like explodes on him. And it, he's like saying how all these people died basically as footnotes for his trophy. And he rants and raves, uh, you know, and as he does, the, the Minotaur's head starts to grow back and he stabs Pirithus through the back, killing him. Uh, Theseus tries to retaliate, but is knocked down uh, into the giant well that was in the center of the room, uh, along with Ariadne. Uh, they land behind a waterfall as the Minotaur kind of like roams around all creepily. We don't know how long they've actually been down there. I mean, like, I assume it wasn't too long. Like maybe it just like jumped down after him. Cause it's like creeping around all weird and stuff. Total like old school horror movie, like monster yeah. style. And, uh, like it now it, it, I noticed too, uh, cause we talked about this earlier about how it morphs, but like, uh, it's face. It's is, more human. Like it's similar to Pirithus. <laughs> so you. like, it's more like that. And it's just like, it's really fucking 
unsettling. It's just like shouting. Super grotesque. Yeah, it's like shouting random things and stuff. And uh, it actually like sees them through the waterfall, but just like leaves them be. And I think it's because Ariadne still has the, the pendant. You know, it, pendant it's it's thing? it's very visible when he when the the creature looks at them. So like, obviously confused, Theseus and uh, Ariadne contemplate what went wrong. Only recalling that uh, Daedalus said to defeat the Minotaur, they must use the center. You know, like they just they just keep saying that they're like, well, well, we you know killed it there. Like what what went wrong? You know, and uh, they come across like this area of even more like melting ruins in like this great like cool splash page, and it's like just illustrating more that the labyrinth is like dying and falling. Like it's not going to last much longer. Um, do they ever go into why the labyrinth is dying now? Like this has been going on for eight years, right? Yeah. I think it's just the fact that like, um, Daedalus refers to because, Oh, cause day died. I don't think it's because he died. I think that that might have the a reason as to why it's collapsing so extremely fast now. But like, I think before, um, it was less that it was dying and more that, it could not contain the creature much longer. Like Daedalus was like, I've tried everything like, you know, traps and all this stuff and doing everything. And like, it's going to get out. It's stronger. It's bigger. Like, you know, it's like the sacrifices over the eight years have just made it harder to kill. And like, and eventually like the labyrinth will not be able to hold it. And now that I think that since day died, it's, it's just decaying, you know, because I mean, it was attached to his mind. Mm -hmm. So like, you know that there's there's that to kind of infer about that even though it's not like really explicitly said i guess um like because again you know ariadne is the only character who really knows what's going on but she doesn't even like you know know the full extent of it like she says over and over again how like this is all he said like i don't know you know <laughs> like and, and they don't know what he means half the time so like uh at this point, we uh, we uh, cut to Glaucus trying to comfort uh, Queen Pasfei, uh by telling her that, you know, he's like, if you just give the word, like, we could stop all this madness, you know. Uh, but she rejects it and uh, tells him to leave. Um, Glaucus then walks to the waterfall gate and ponders the medallion in his hand. And, okay, so this is probably one of my biggest issues with this book is these next few sequences. So, like... This is where a lot of spliced together stuff starts to happen. And it's strangely paced and it cuts back and forth between like these three different things happening to like no real climactic resolve. Like I can understand if they all three ended on the same page or something, but they don't. It's just like, it's almost like they fucking like mishmashed it together with like no order or something. It's weird. Like, I'll just go through the, the things that happen. So Glaucus throws the medallion into the waterfall gate. Which was what? What was the medallion for? So that was D Daedalus's medallion that he wore. Oh, okay. It's the one that he grabbed. And it's the one that um, when he grabbed it and when it, you know, was just a spaceship or whatever, uh, his eyes and mouth lit up and he became attached to the labyrinth. Gotcha. So Daedalus throws that into the waterfall gate. Then we cut back to Aegis, and he thinks that Theseus must be dead, and goes walking to the docks. Sidus follows him and stabs him, leaves him to fall into the water and die, which is really sad. But uh, then uh, Timon shows back up in the in the labyrinth, tries to kill Theseus and Ariadne, so they won't hurt the god's plan. He's just a religious zealot freak now. 
<laughs> yeah, I should have hated him. <laughs> yeah, and uh, <laughs> they ki- they kill him by spilling blood on the labyrinth floor, springing a trap that unleashes a bunch of those spikes that impale him. Um, and and all those things happen. So is this the thing you were like kind of frustrated with, just the way all these panels were put together? Yeah, like the- I kind of liked it. I didn't think it was that bad. It's, I thought it was interesting. It makes a lot of sense if you think of it in like a movie standpoint. But like, like I said, the beats don't match up to me. Like it, it's like, first of all, all of these things have different connotations and they could have just been their own scenes. And I don't mind them. I don't mind it when the narrative wants to go back and forth, like in parallel things, but there's nothing to really parallel here. Like all these tasks and all these things that happen don't really relate to what's going on with each other at this particular point. Were they happening at the same time? I think that's the idea. But like we could have inferred that even just seeing them back to back like straight, you know, I mean, like it's it's just it was just a weird choice. Like, I don't I, know, it's super artsy. I think it's cool. It's not uncommon for like comics to do that. It's just that this particular layout is confusing because it's like it's literally like you get three panels of Theseus and Ariadne like fighting Timon. Then you get one panel of Aegis and then it's like a panel of Theseus again, and then it's, <laughs> and then it's Glaucus, and then it's like it's it's just it's uneven. Like it would be one thing if like uh, they had just like three long panels, like you know taking up a whole page, and you saw a portion of each scene, and we just go from there. I've seen that used to great effect at places too, but this was just a weird moment to me to pick to do that. Like, like I said, it, it I don't know. It's just weird. It's probably like my biggest gripe with the book, to be honest, like is just the way that this whole portion is handled. Like, it's like, just like, just strange. (laughs) I don't know. Like I could see some of it work a bit, but I read it like I read it over like four or five times just to try to find like, I'm like, well, where's like, there's gotta be like a rising action climax moment, but like, no, it's like, you know, middling, Climax moment, middling again, <laughs> and then another climax moment, and then it's like, they're, okay, they're, they're scary things over, but this scary thing's still going on with this person, and like, it's just like, I don't know, it's weird, like, I don't know, but anyway, at this point, <laughs> Theseus is like, we have no choice but to try and escape, and Ariadne reveals that her pendant was a key to the escape gateway the whole time, uh, they argue a bit, begin to fight, or rather, she just kind of beats the shit out of him and uh, tapping into her rage at her father for all the sick training um, that he made her do in preparation for the wedding to the Minotaur. uh, She's just like rambling after she beats the shit out of Theseus. And as Theseus listens, he comes to the revelation that all he ever wanted was to be a hero. And Ariadne says that there may be no glory in winning this fight, no songs or anything. And Theseus in, some character development here says that he never liked any of the songs anyway. And you're like, and you're like, okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> Didn't get that impression I, I at to- all. I totally get this character development beat. And I love that he ends up this way, but it does feel like a little out of nowhere. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, Hey, we have to wrap this shit up. Definitely like, forced. Like he needs to be where we need him to be now. And like, I like the beat of him coming to that realization. I think that from the very beginning, 
you can see that he will become that eventually. You know, it's like that's the typical character character archetype of of his type of character in the story. But like it does kind of come out of nowhere. And it's kind of weird that like his friend, like for years, Pirithus, like gave him all these opportune speeches for him to change. And then all it took was Ariadne talking about how like her father was mean to her, you know, like, I mean, like, and not to say that her plight isn't, you know, worthwhile to listen to. It's just that, you know, it's kind of weird that, that, you know, like her, her thing is like what he's just like, you, you, know, what? you know what, maybe you're right. right. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> but anyway, he's a good guy now. And, uh, <laughs> okay. and, uh, the two head back to the center to prepare for like a final confrontation uh, outside the gate, uh, the amphitheater is built and King Minos prepares for the ceremony. The Minotaur approaches Theseus and Ariadne and, uh, they activate a trap by cutting Theseus. I think this is pretty cool. Actually, they cut, um, Theseus cuts his hand on one of those spike spears and throws it at the labyrinth floor, like by the Minotaur, like not to hit it. And then it's, it triggers one of those traps and like it, it stabs the Minotaur. And, uh, this is creepy too, because the Minotaur is like gleefully mocking whatever um fucking theseus smile. says yeah he's, he said like theseus tells it to like shut up and he says like stupid labyrinth and um the minotaur just like smiles and like says it back shut to up. him yeah, yeah it's like, <laughs> it's like ooh. <laughs> and uh they both go to attack it um on each side and uh, we get this awesome splash of both of them just stabbing and beating the shit out of the minotaur <laughs> and like it's cool because it's like separated by like this red center panel that's just their black silhouettes like fighting and, um, you know, like they're, they're beating it up and stabbing it and, uh, but it still manages to put up a good fight and it hits them away. And, uh, when it throws Theseus, um, he plows through one of the melting walls and happens upon the medallion that Glaucus threw in and, uh, he grabs it and confronts the Minotaur again. Uh, he leads it through like the weird, um, clay people wall, uh, which, you know, grab it and kind of slow it down, but it breaks free and manages to like pin Theseus down until <laughs> what he tells the Minotaur fuck you yeah <laughs> and the Minotaur is like fuck me yeah <laughs> <laughs> me <laughs> but then like uh so you know he's he gets pinned down and uh, Ariadne hits it and uh when it goes to hit her back uh it's shocked in a way that seemingly kills it due to the pendant that she has still uh Theseus very comically, this is actually probably one of my favorite parts of the book, but you know, the body of the Minotaur is laying there and, uh, he very comically cuts its head off. Like, oh, it's just like, it's just shield like, or whatever they used from earlier. He, he cuts its head off. Like, it's just like so routine at this point and like begins to stab it with just various things that are lying around. And he's just like, he's like, he's like, well, this is my plan where I'm just going to keep stabbing it over and over again. <laughs> And he's like, unless if you have a better idea, because like they just don't fucking know what to do at this point. And like uh, they go back to the use the center idea and Theseus sees the medallion he found, which has the uh, the pendant Ari- Ariadne wears like etched into the center and it kind of clicks for him. So uh, the Minotaur sprouts up with a reformed body uh, once more as the labyrinth collapses and the portal begins to open to allow it through. Uh, Theseus grabs Ariadne and takes the pendant opting to attack the Minotaur with the center finally, you know, putting it together finally. And uh, he put the pendant and the the medallion together. No, I think one, I think it's more like, no, cause he just uses the pendant to stab it. Mm -hmm. And like, uh, and after seeing that, like it fucked it up really bad when it, when it grabbed her, 
like, you know, she like hit it with it, but then like, uh, it just died again and then resurrected. So he like, he sees the medallion and he's like, use the center and the center of the medallion is that pendant. So like he realizes like, that's the, that's gotta be the way, but the, the catch is that he goes to stab it and it's like, he can't let go like it. And, and the power's like resonating and it's like, it's just like, you know, they don't know and we don't know, but it just seems very obvious that the wielder will also die. And so, you know, he stabs it, it stabs back and Theseus, you know, gives a final blow after getting all fucked up and he holds it in place, uh, even though it's going to likely kill him. And he sees visions of like his fallen friends and it's like the, the labyrinth and whatnot, like trying to like, you know, tempt him to stop. But he knows if he lets go, the beast will just heal. So he holds on for the greater good, you know, like his dad was talking about. And uh, it appears to like mold around Theseus, like like the the fucking like muscles and like all this stuff like seems to like drown him and, uh, you know, suffocating him as uh, Ariadne screams. Then we cut to outside and the portal is active. King Minos calls for Asterion and uh, Ariadne walks through. And as Minos raves about the union being made, like he doesn't even seem to care that she's okay. He's just like, Hey, I got your bull ready. He's like, get in the bull. Like, or whatever, you know? And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, as Minos like raves about the union being made, um, Theseus walks through and has one yellow eye. How do you get the yellow eye? Exactly. I still don't understand. It's like a, it's like a sign of like being like molded to the, the alien, like, you know, technology and the Minotaur, like as a, as like a spirit almost or something, you know, mm. because as we'll find out at the end, um, it appears that they've almost molded together. Um, and you know, so like <laughs> Minos says, Minos who saw Theseus before. So I don't know why he's like, I mean, maybe it's just because he's that fucking crazy at this point, but he's like, Oh, like Asterion, you've chosen a suitable form. And like, uh, and I think his intention with saying that is that he chose the form of Theseus and uh, he's like, he's like, now that Athens is kingless, like, you know, you can like implying that like Asterion, like as his son can rule Athens, like in Theseus's form. Uh, and like this obviously hits Theseus hard because he's like, he didn't know his dad was dead. And uh, he tells Minos that he isn't his son and decapitates him with a nearby axe right in front of just everybody. And Glaucus runs up to him and thanks him. And he begins to like preach freedom to the people and be like, we're free of the mad the king's tyranny. tyranny. And then Ariadne stabs him in the back, <laughs> killing him. And Queen Pasiphae yells out and is like calling them both monsters and repeatedly is like, kill them. She's like holding her dead husband's dead head. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, kill him, kill him. And the, uh, the last panel on this page is Theseus and Ariadne standing back to back, ready to fight while Theseus's eye starts to leak that yellow liquid. And now we're at the epilogue and we see a boat approaching Athens and Theseus is on deck. Uh, Ariadne walks up behind him, says they're both free. And Theseus asks what happened, says it's all so cloudy. And she tells him that he killed the Minotaur and King Minos and that he returns to Athens victorious. Uh, he has a little freak out. This is what I was referring to earlier, where he's asking if he killed Pirithus. And he says he can feel him. He can feel all of them dying by his hand. And he asks her what he is. And as his eye once again cries yellow tears, she calls him a hero. And then 
when we turn to the very last page, uh, it's the amphitheater. Just Everyone's littered, just dead. Littered with bodies, blood fucking everywhere. And it's like super brutal. And uh, that's the end of Kill the Minotaur. <laughs> I remember that ending, like when it came out, like I was just like, holy shit. Like, you know, <laughs> like how did like, they do it? I was like, that's fucking dark. Like, I mean, like, I don't know. I mean, like, I think, you know, if, if you want to get technical about the explanation, I think that um, with Theseus, like effectively being joined with the Minotaur, he can fight like it. And, and, and he was probably like maybe morphing around and stuff. And was like, he able and to he, regenerate he, he limbs? He can't die. Like, you know, like, yeah. I mean, like, I think it might be something to that effect. I mean, regardless, like he was obviously more powerful than any of them. And like, yeah, I don't know. Such a weird, ominous ending. I don't know. It definitely leaves you um, pondering and questioning a lot of things. Yeah. It's dark. <laughs> it's fucked up. <laughs> they killed literally everybody. Yeah. Just, Just like the two of them. Bodies fucking littering the amphitheater. Like, does he morph into the man, the, the Minotaur? I don't know. Is he just him? He's like a Hulk Minotaur. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, there's just it's fucking crazy. But yeah, so that's the story. I mean, uh, uh, we could go into some overall thoughts. Um, I don't know. I have a few like prompt things, unless there's some stuff that you want to like get off oh. your chest immediately, and we can ping pong off that. Um, I don't know. Not really. Um. I think I liked a lot of things that you didn't particularly like as far as like just some of the panel layouts and art goes. Yeah. Um, the random swearing was kind of <laughs> off putting for me. I don't mind it. Yeah. I've got a bad mouth, but like it just for the time period. I mean, and yeah. for how serious it was, it just, it kind of took me out of the story a little bit when it happened. I can, I can see that. Um, the only reason I would argue the time period thing is the fact that they're all speaking English. So it's yeah. like, so it's kind of like one of those things where it's like, I guess if I can accept 1500 that, BC, they're yeah. saying fuck. <laughs> yeah. Nah. It's like, I, I guess if I can accept that, I can accept them like using some curse word vernacular. I mean, like, like, and it's like you said, you know, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a prude in that regard. I'm opposed I, to I, it. I say, I say, you know, bad words. It just didn't seem necessary. Time. I don't know. It was weird. It's a little overused yeah. with Theseus at the beginning, especially like, it it would have been more impactful had they used it less. And then he could have said like in those moments, like, you know, like when he tells the Minotaur, like, fuck you or whatever, you know, like it's like that would have been a bit more of a moment. But instead, it's just like, oh, he's still fucking potty mouth prince guy, you know, or whatever. Like, it's just, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's it's OK. It's it doesn't make me cringe as much as like I've seen some other books do that, yeah. like. But yeah, it's it's one of those things that it does take you out a little bit, a like, little bit in those moments. Um, at least at the beginning. Uh, but you know, I mean, I don't know. It's yeah, o- know. it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> it wasn't that bothersome, but it did yeah. take me out. Um, I don't know. I found myself questioning a lot in the beginning, and I feel like some of those questions still aren't answered. I think it's just up to interpretation. It and- does. It does kind of require like some research, and and then even after you do the research you realize like they purposefully left a lot of it open-ended just for that purpose. Yeah. Just for you. Which, which again, like I tend to kind of like in a lot of stories just because like, you know, it, your, your mental interpretation or wonder is always like more enthralling and satisfying than like, you know, concrete, like forced answers, I guess. 
and not to say that they couldn't have had a bit more answers in this book, but you know, I think, I think it's, it, it strikes the right balance of like, you know, like leaving you to wonder <clears throat> while also just giving you like some cool ideas. Cause that's like the point of this book is like, just like the con the concept of the idea of changing this story and adding those elements that are foreign to it as of now. Yeah. Like, but you know, I don't know. Yeah. I was going to say about the dialogue too. It's, it, it definitely is a overall, it's kind of a bit meh come off kind of edge lordy yeah <laughs> uh, you know like i said it, it's not unexcusable or anything um it, it like theseus in particular just teeters on almost being too much yeah there's a lot of back and forth with them um, with him with me yeah i found myself hating him a lot and i found myself liking him again he redeemed himself yeah but then you know a page or two later i'm, I'm back to just like god this guy just big old brat yeah and <laughs> and i will say like um like I said before, uh, in the story portion, like it makes it hard for me to buy his character development because he's pretty much like that the entire time and then changes his tune when the story kind of needs him to, you know, but you know, even though he is the main character and arguably like the most important one that they should focus on, um, I will say the writers, um, they do a good job of, uh, like all the characters have distinct voices and there are some really cool lines like throughout the book, you know, some cool quotable stuff like yeah. um, the theming, like you could tell they really thought about that because they bring back like a few lines every now and then the song thing, arguably done a little too much, but I get what they're going for with that. You know, I mean that that's, that's almost like the thesis statement of the book, you know, is like, you know, the heroes do the right thing even without the accolades type thing. Um, even though the end is super dour, but <laughs> <laughs> did he do the right thing? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, but, but yeah, you know, do you have anything else in particular you want to mention? Um, yeah, <laughs> that's all right. See, so I kind of wanted to mention like, you know, um, just with us briefly discussing, uh, like the myths as they were originally, like comparative to some of the things they do in this book. Like, what do you think of this version? I don't know. I don't know anything else. Yeah. Like, it's just like, and that's kind of the stuff that I gravitate towards the most, I think, is like, you know, just like, oh, look at this stuff they changed and, and then like added this like horror element or whatever, you know, and it's like, that's kind of neat. The sci-fi angle and like just all this random stuff. And like, it, it, it molds like pretty well, in my opinion, I think like just conceptually, um, I could actually see this making a cool movie, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, like, uh, if, if done with a good budget and done right. And I don't say that that often, you know me, I notoriously, you're pretty picky. I'm, I'm against <laughs> adaptations, <Netflix> adaptations. <laughs> adaptations and things like that. Um, or not against, I should just say that I just frequently don't like them. <laughs> um, with the exception of like the Marvel movies. <laughs> oh, ooh. oh no. <laughs> one, one of these days we'll do lock and key with you. <laughs> So that I can prove to you it's good. Okay. <laughs> but, but, uh, sorry to all the lock and key fans out there. Um, anyway, so, uh, you know, yeah, I don't know. I, I kind of gravitate towards like, you know, those like referential differences and the, the, you know, modern take of like just changing up the genre a bit is really cool to me. Yeah. If I knew anything about any of that, I, you know, would probably feel the same, but yeah, I, I think, no you, I think, I think that you could infer a lot just like knowing the basics of like 
old mythological tales, you know, like, I mean, you know, even some of the stuff we talked about, how I was saying how like they just skim over like, you know, a few of these details that these like, you know, this creative team took and like made it their own like kind of direction or whatever, interpreted it differently. And like, uh, yeah, that to me is what makes a good interpretation of things. You know, when you're, when you're taking like a classic story like that, it's just like adding your own elements and, and doing some different flair with it, you know? Um, but yeah, I, I will say, so, you know, we talked about the panel layout situation towards the end of the book, like pretty hard. And I'd say like, I think that's more of a cause of like my, if I had a primary complaint is that these writers before this were not comic book writers. And I think it kind of shows at points like that, <laughs> like, and with some of the dialogue decisions, you know, um, although I will say it, it's a really good first outing. Like these guys know how to tell a story. Like, obviously, you know, I mean, they, they were already working in, you know, storytelling mediums and whatnot, but you know, that kind of leads me well into the, uh, there's, there's some pacing issues. And again, it's not like the worst, it's pretty serviceable, but there are moments where it kind of waxes and wanes and like, uh, you get a, you get a lot of exposition scenes outside of the labyrinth, like all of which I, I like and are good pace breakers but it seems like they rush through like almost all of them. It's like, oops, this is two pages. That's too much. Like, you know, like it's like it, you only get a little bit. And I already kind of mentioned up top that, you know, the three climactic moments that are spliced together at one point. And, and to me, it, in my head, it just, it's just like, what the hell? Like, I don't know what's, what's going on, like why this was paced that way. But like, you know, as far as like, like I said, with the first outing for writing comics, like, this guys did a really good job. I think like, you know, of like illustrating the story and just creating something like pretty cool. Um, so this is the only comic book they've done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's great. Yeah. It's cool. It's just an interesting take. And i kind of wish that they did some more stuff, you know, because I almost feel like they were catching their stride at the end. Like, you know, with like the, the way that they weave the narrative and stuff. I was like, I was like, Oh, they're, they're starting to get it. Like what they can do more like in the comic book medium, because it's like you see them grow from issue one to six, like just the way it's plotted in the dialogue and everything. Mm-hmm. And like, um, you know, the book's like concept is great, like all in all, I think. Um, it carries a lot of the weight of the story. So even with like, you know, some pacing or dialogue flounder, like I think these simple but cool updates to the story really make it pop, you know, like. I mean, what, what did you think of like, you know, like I know we, we reacted to it a lot during the story, but like, uh, what did you think of like the, the gore horror sci-fi elements being implemented? And cause that's the stuff that like, when I was reading it, I remember an issue issue was coming out. That's stuff that got me like really excited. Yeah. Um, I mean, I liked it. It was pretty gross looking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I guess I think I liked it because it felt like. It felt real almost like I could see that happening in like a modern tale. Yeah. In like a movie and it would terrify the hell out of me. Yeah. And it seemed like it would be a really good like version of a fucking nowadays horror film. Yeah. And I've had like, I know that I've talked about this with you before because I get really, really butthurt about the idea of like people using the comic book medium to basically pitch their movie ideas or TV ideas because I just feel like it's just a waste. Like, you know, it's like, if you want to make a movie, make a movie. Like, you know, and I understand that like people were using this as like a, 
a backdoor into like getting their idea sold or something. But 99% of the time stuff ends up like shit, man. Like it just does. And it's like, you gotta like the comic book medium is made to make comics, you know? And like, I guess you could argue that with this. I don't know if these guys did this particularly to pitch a movie, but if they did, they did a really good job of actually making a comic book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, like it's a, like I, so I don't, I don't want to say that they went in with that intent, like, you know, as, as the only goal, like I, you could tell that they, they wanted to like do something because there's a lot of shit in this that you just can't fucking film or can't do like, you know, a lot of like the labyrinth, like big layout, like shots and stuff. It's like, it's just so like specific. You've never seen the labyrinth. It's just so specific and like fucking like crazy. And like, I'm just like, there's no way that this, they can make this and make it look good in a movie. Like without like, a trillion dollar Super budget. High budget. Yeah. <laughs> and like, so, you know, I, I feel like they, they use the comic book medium to its strengths in this version. And, you know, if they get to make a movie, cool, I would go see it, you yeah, know, for I, sure. I, I would go see it, uh, you know, no expectations, but you know, <laughs> but I would go see it. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know, I guess the only other thing that I really want to mention, and we've, t- we've, talked about it briefly i feel like we haven't talked about it enough but there's really not much more i can say uh other than just the art by lucas kettner is so goddamn good like i love his action layouts the character reactions everything he's consistent with proportions consistent with like the look of things um it's so fitting for this era and like type of story yeah like way more than you'd expect and yeah, just absolutely no complaints on this end. I, I, I want to find more of his work. I hope he does more stuff. Like I just, I, he's great. <laughs> like I, I would love to see him like, oh God, could you see him doing like a Conan book or something? Yeah. Conan would be pretty rad. It'd be, it'd be amazing. Like it, it, he'd be so good at that. And like, it's a, uh, yeah, no, I, it, he's just, he's great. And like, yeah, I, oh, unless you have something here before I ask you the final question. I just have, I have one, one thing to get off my chest here. Oh God. <laughs> but one more thing I want to mention is skybound or What's image that? or image. Whoever. What is ch- that? Oh, skybound is the production company. publisher. Yeah. So <laughs> okay. skybound or image, whoever actually was in charge of publishing this book. What the fuck? No page breaks, not even a cover gallery at the end. You don't get the awesome cat like covers when you buy this book. Yeah. The covers were great. Like that's weak as hell. <laughs> like what the hell? I've never seen it, especially for an image book that costs twenty dollars. Like it retails for nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, it just has um no cover gallery. What is this? More tales? Yeah, that's just a different books. Yeah, that sucks. That sucks. And there's no page breaks for the end of the issues. It's not that you can't infer it. I mean, it, what does it, a page break look like? Well, like, you know, they would normally like put like a blank page or like, or with like a title of the scene or something. Yeah. Or um, like the end of the issue or a lot of them will like just put the covers mm-hmm. as the page break, you know, so you know that that's when the issue ended. Like this doesn't have that. And it also, like I said, no cover gallery in the back either. Like to show those awesome fucking covers. Yeah. that would have been cool. Cause if you don't have the single issues, I mean, I think it's worth seeing those yeah. covers firsthand. Cause they're just, they're awesome. And like, not to say that it's not worth it. Like I bought this and I support it and I, and I like this book. I like all the books that we've talked about on this podcast, but like 20 bucks, 
I don't even get a cover gallery. Like, Sorry, come on, dude. dude. <laughs> like, it's like, goddamn. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, that's it. That's just, I don't know. That's it. That's a nitpick there. Is it Robert Kirkman? You cutting corners? You hearing? You, you hearing got us, that, Robert? You got that walking dead We're money. We're calling you out. You got that walking dead money. Put some fucking <laughs> covers in this fucking book. <laughs> but, but anyway. Uh, did, um, did Lucas do all the covers? Yeah. Your issue? He did. Yeah. Nice. But yeah, I don't know. To, to wrap up my thoughts on it, at least, um, you know, either way, love the ideas, the concept of this book. Love the modern take. Lucas Kettner is the MVP. Yeah. And I'm done. <laughs> so this may be obvious but uh elena if you want to elaborate or just or just give a, a yes or no uh but um yeah uh, I'll, I'll keep it short would, and sweet would you pull this book or drop it elena <laughs> nicholas <laughs> i don't know i'll keep it short and sweet for someone who doesn't really read comics like at all except for a few random ones here and there um i think it's definitely worth picking up giving it a read um, whether you like Greek mythology or you don't, uh, it kept me interested the entire time. I didn't find myself getting bored. I was eager to turn the page and definitely, um, really, really liked the art all throughout, especially like the big landscape scenes that he draws. You can just find yourself looking at those images for a very long time, um, checking out all the details and the mountains and the waves in the water and, uh, I don't know, it was a good story. I, I I liked it. I enjoyed it. The gore is great. If you're into um, blood and graphic imagery, if you like B-rated horror films, this is probably up for you. Probably for you. Probably yeah. up your alley. Um, I'd probably pull it. That's a pull. I think I'll. I think I pull it. Hell yeah. <laughs> That's a pull. Yeah. Oh yeah. I thought that this was a. Um, you know, I mean, the main reason we picked this as like the first one uh for you i think was just because most of the series that we've talked about doing together are pretty big ones yeah they're they're long and they would be like multi-part episodes or you know um and i wanted to kind of introduce everybody at least like my kind of main rotating guests um with uh more one-off like kind of you know one and done like discussions i guess on on books and uh yeah, this one was on your list. I think just because I remembered mentioning it to you, and I and I remember it being kind of like, you know, a little creepy, but also like you know a little historical fiction type stuff, and it just seemed like something you might dig. So I'm glad that we did it, though. It was it was kind of fun to, especially like, it just cemented in my brain that like you know Lucas Kettner is just fucking awesome. Like he's yeah. just such a great artist, and I I, I definitely uh, hope to find more of his stuff eventually. Yeah. I, I don't see him have too him. active. Yeah. Have him what? I said, maybe we should have him uh, uh, do a commission for us one day. Yeah, that'd be cool. That'd I don't see cool. him too active on social media, at least with posting his work and stuff. So I don't know. If he does a lot right now. What he's really up to. Yeah. Well, Lucas Kettner, if you're out there. Hit us up. Yeah. <laughs> we'll buy a <laughs> commission. Hey. From, we'll do a commission from you. I don't know what it'll be yet, but it would be cool. Talk to Nick about that uh, panel choice um, that you got going on. That probably wasn't him. I bet that was the layout of the of the other two guys. What were you probably thinking? Yeah, what the fuck were you thinking? No, <laughs> I'm just, just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Whose fucking fault was that? Stop. No, just, okay. <laughs> 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 oh, well, yeah. <laughs> well, that's a pull for Kill the Minotaur, our uh, third episode and second with Kill in the title. 
What was the other one? Killer Be Killed. Oh, shit. I'll <laughs> okay. have to change that up. <laughs> okay, we're not going to do a kill book next time. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah, um, I guess we'll, uh, we'll wrap this on up. Um, there you have it, folks. Thanks for listening. If you want to support this podcast, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash none of my friends like comics. That way uh, we can continue to provide you with even more great content. It's never expected, but always appreciated. You can follow the show on Twitter at No Comic Friends for updates and some fun posts. Um, uh, or you can email the show with your comments, opinions, thoughts at none of my friends like comics at gmail.com. And if you mark it okay to air, uh, you know, we'll read it on the air. Maybe if you're nice. Be nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, uh, we are entirely self-funded and just want to get the word out. So tell your friends and family who might be interested uh, in this show to give us a listen. We're on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts, and, uh, and web, browser. web browsers, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> uh, thanks again for listening, and we will see you on the next page. Bye. Bye.